Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Mahomes avoids the rush. Mahomes down to 10 seconds. Mahomes is going to try to run for the first down, and he will. Looping the right side, he gets out of bounds. Osai there, and a flag down. A late hit as body spilled out along that Cincinnati side. Bucker, snap, placement, Bucker's kick. He's got it. Kansas City in front with three seconds remaining. Taylor is gang tackled, and it is over. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl for the third time in four years. That's what it sounded like right here last night as the Kansas City Chiefs pick up a win against the Cincinnati Bengals to go to the Super Bowl, as you heard right there with that call on Westwood One, Alex. It was a dramatic finish, to say the least. And that felt like a legacy-defining moment for Patrick Mahomes. One leg... You got Travis Kelsey with a bad back. He looked great in the game, though. It didn't seem like it really hampered him too much. Uh, You have three wide receivers that are out at that point in time. You've got a right guard that's clearly hobbled throughout the game. You got a defense without its best linebacker and its best cornerback. You've got three starting corners right now that are rookies, and you find a way to battle through. I don't want to hear anything about the refs. I don't want to hear anything about what the Bengals were dealing with with their offensive line. Injuries were a problem for both teams last night. And one team won. And the victors get to write the history. Alex, I know it sounds like I'm saying this as a homer, as a Kansas City Chiefs fan. kind of angry after a win. No, I don't want to hear any of your BS today. Because we were all talking about this before the show. And we all agreed. One team won fair and square. One of the quarterbacks came up with the plays when they needed them the most. The other one didn't. Joe Burrow did in the first three games, and he gets all of the credit for that. And he deserves it. He established who he is as a quarterback, as one of the two best in the NFL, with the way that he played head-to-head against Kansas City Chiefs in the first three matchups. And last night, we saw Patrick Mahomes equal that with the way that he was able to perform down the stretch in one of the biggest games in his NFL career while he's dealing with a high ankle sprain. That was a legacy moment for Patrick Mahomes and especially that run. I know people are expecting me to be the uh, guy to come in here and calm BK down and tell him, like, look, man, the yeah, Chiefs vacation, cheated BK to get in. Uh, it was very similar to last year. I'm just year so sick when of they pulled the victory. nonsense. Well, we can't just enjoy a good football blamed. game. They cheated against Buffalo last year, and people are expecting me to say they cheated again this year. I'm not going to do that because, frankly, I was frustrated last night from all of the talk on Twitter of the Chiefs just found a way to victory and they were giving the officials the MVP. 
I thought that was an awesome game. It was so cool, man. It was so much fun. It was. And, you know, going into this postseason, I said uh, I, I said on last week with BT and Tanner, BK, I said I was more intrigued watching Philly and San Francisco than the Chiefs and Bengals because I knew what I was getting out of it. And then, of course, we all know what happened in yeah. that uh, Eagles 49ers game, and I had to watch Josh Johnson just embarrass everything. But you knew what you were going to get out of those two games. You knew it was going to come down to the final possession. Somebody was going to kick it to someone and the defense was going to have to find a way to stop the opponent for the win. And that's exactly what took place in the final two minutes. That to me was a Tom Brady esque performance by Patrick Mahomes. Frankly, it was kind of a Michael Jordan esque performance by Patrick Mahomes because flu game. Yeah. I, I mean, you're talking about a dude who had a bum ankle who didn't have his Best tight end at 100%, although Travis Kelsey, even at 100 or 75%, looks like he's at 100%. You were missing all of those weapons. You had injuries galore, and you still found a way to pull it out. And I think that was the most impressive game that I've seen from Patrick Mahomes in a really long time. So I'm not going to sit here and act like Cincinnati got cheated out of this because I thought the better team won, the better quarterback won, and that's what you saw last night and why Kansas City's headed to their third Super Bowl in their last four years. Yeah, I, I thought Mahomes was great last night. I wondered what he would look like. I know BK was yelling at me there for a second, but I I was on the side that of was the alcohol. they talking. looked really Sorry, good because I, I thought Mahomes was going to really struggle because of that ankle, and he was better than Joe Burrow, and Burrow was 100%. Burrow was thrown into double coverage, led to two picks, so I, I thought that was his kind of leg game when you look at Patrick Mahomes. That was really impressive with some of his top wide receivers down. He ends up getting Martez Valdez scantling, which nobody saw coming to put up 100 plus yards in receiving. Now, when you're the only one out there. And, and his mobility, though you could tell it's clear, clearly hampered, it didn't bother him. I mean, they were running him out of the pocket to get plays and I think that I think that touchdown to Kelsey was what? Fourth and one, if I remember correctly. And they run him outside the pocket. So that, that was a hell of a football game from Patrick Mahomes. And it was just honestly a hell of a football game in general. When the Bengals and Chiefs meet it's freaking awesome when they're going <laughs> yeah. up against one another i we haven't really been able to say that about any matchup over the last what 20 years outside of manning versus brady now you're seeing kind of the part two or i guess the second version of manning versus brady this this time around 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show today and i'm sure there will be plenty of you that will yell at me or be sad that i'm back but i am back and it's good to see all of you that's alex ferrario he's tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley by the way Here's what Dan Orlovsky had to say about Patrick Mahomes and raising his game when the Chiefs needed it the most. He said this earlier today on Get Up. The MVP played like an MVP. And the last two playoffs, we've had two of the best quarterback performances we're ever going to see. And they just so happen to belong to Patrick. I think yesterday was the perfect example of Patrick Mahomes. He did stuff that we just don't understand and can't comprehend. Just to clarify, does Dan still believe that Patrick Mahomes is the best all-around athlete, but Burrow is the best quarterback? quarterback? No, good good question. I'd like to know, just a follow-up. After watching that game, I think it was a reminder that, like, we are now entering the phase of Patrick Mahomes' career where his mind, his ability to read defenses, his ability to understand what coverages are there, it's catching up with his physical talents. And Joe Burrow, by the way, is still not there. Like Joe Burrow is going to get even better. That's what's so fun about these matchups is this is this is the beginning stages. This is the infancy of what is going to be, in my opinion, the best rivalry in the NFL. We were talking about this before the show, guys. You mentioned this, Tanner, as I watched that game last night. Man, as a Chiefs fan, personally, I, I was insufferable. I was in a state of emotions that I very rarely have watching games now. Like I, 
I don't get as emotionally invested in in anything sports wise as I once did. You guys know this after covering it like you're so involved that it removes a lot of that emotion from the equation. Absolutely. Last night felt different. And whether you were somebody that had one of these teams that you were rooting for, if you were just a casual fan or if you had money on the line, that game had it all, man. It had bad calls going one way or the other. It had big time plays by defensive players. It had Mahomes or a Burrow guy moments where you're like, that is why they're the guy and they're going to be the best player in the NFL for the next however many years. Jamar Chase put on a show. T. Higgins had one of the best catches that you'll see on a go ball. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, stand up and take a bow, my good friend. I don't know how he caught that. I don't know how he caught that. Isaiah Pacheco with an angry run down the sideline. Like There were some unbelievable moments in that game. And this is what we've come to expect when the Chiefs and the Bengals meet. It's always close. It's always compelling. It always comes down to a big play in the end one way or the other. And that's why for me, I think this is the best non-divisional rivalry we have seen in the NFL since Brady and Manning. I'm not saying it's going to be the next Brady Manning. I've said for a long time now, I don't think we're ever going to see anything like that. If we are, though, it's probably this. Can you guys think of anything else non-divisional? Because we've seen Raven Steelers is always excellent. Seahawks 49ers there for a while was the best rivalry in the NFL when it was Russell Wilson versus Colin Kaepernick and you had Harbaugh versus Carroll. Is there anything else that you guys can think of in the last 20 years other than Brady Manning that matches what we're watching right now with Chiefs versus Bengals where it's regular season you get a great matchup and then you see them again in the postseason and it always lives up to the hype no I can't because I can't think of anything that becomes appointment watching like a Chiefs Bengals game even in the regular season what was it back in December when they faced off against each other I was excited to watch that game and it's rare to sit there and say that because you either have betting purposes or fantasy football purposes but last night yes I had money on it but there was nothing other than watching two really good players go head-to-head and two teams that you know don't like each other so no you can't think of that and even that Brady Manning it never felt like the two teams didn't like each other. It just was always fun to watch the two quarterbacks. These two teams feel like they don't like each other. I mean, the chirping afterwards between Travis Kelsey and Cincinnati's team and Cincinnati going into the game, running their mouths, that felt like a uh, old school schoolyard bullying game. And that's kind of what that's very rare. I feel like when it comes to non-divisional opponents. Yeah, I, I can't think of any either when like trying to look through the teams and see if you can think of one. There's been maybe one or two where it's like lasted for like a season, like when Rams and Saints were going. The, I think the year the Rams went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Patriots. Uh, you've also had uh, I had it's another one on the, the top one. of my mind, but I oh Falcons and Packers there for like a year or two. It may have been a thing when Ryan was like yep. MVP level and Rodgers was in the prime of his career, but they never lasted a long time. Like I know this one's only lasted four games early on but it's easy to project over the next five to 10 years that we're going to see this rivalry continue to grow between these two teams because they're more likely going to face off against each other each regular season because they're probably going to be the two favorites in their division, which will allow them to schedule against each other. And they're probably going to run into each other a lot in the postseason. So I, I think this is definitely the best non-divisional rivalry we've seen in football in my lifetime, at least. Somebody on the text line brings up the Dallas Cowboys versus the 49ers in the nineties. I, I think that's what you got to do. Like we're, we're talking about that was pre me getting deep into football. Absolutely. Though. I mean, we're talking about looking at the best of the best over the last 50 years at that point in time where you can go back even further. I, I do think that it 
it's like Brady Manning in the 2000s, at least Brady Manning and now Bengals versus Chiefs. And I do think it's kind of cool that it's a, a smaller market team that's going up against the Chiefs now. So you've got Kansas City, which is like the 27th biggest market in the country, going up against Cincinnati, which is like in the mid 20s as well. We're not talking about New York versus Philly. We're not talking about, you know, like Dallas versus San Francisco or something like that. It's smaller markets that are going head to head on the biggest stage in the world or in America's biggest sport. That's a pretty cool thing, man. So what we were able to witness last night, I understand we'll we'll get into it. I promise the refs did become a storyline, but the game itself was so special, man. And let's not take for granted that what we're witnessing right now, man, we might not see anything like this for a long time. You're watching two quarterbacks that are in their prime, one of which is on a rookie deal still. So they have Higgins and Chase and Boyd, who I know got hurt last night. But you look at that defense, they've got playmakers all over. They've got one of the best defensive minds as their defensive coordinator. He's interviewing apparently with Arizona. Maybe he ends up going on to become a head coach elsewhere. And who knows what the Bengals become after that. But the way that these rosters are constructed right now, you've got two legitimately great teams that are able to go head to head twice a year to battle it out to see who goes to the Super Bowl. That's that's special, man. That is really special. And the six one eight goes, guys, Chiefs Bills. Well, the Bills aren't really yeah. winning, so like they the don't Bills belong were in the round before they ever accomplished a damn thing. Yeah, they they're fitting more into the category of what the Chargers were when they had Philip Rivers, where Absolutely. it was always, wow, that's a really good team. Wow, Philip Rivers, really good quarterback. But anytime they go up against the Manning slash the. Uh, Tom Brady's burger. They're not winning. I mean, you look at Buffalo. They got knocked out by Cincinnati this year. Uh, Years prior last year, they got knocked out by Kansas City. They haven't won yet to put themselves into this conversation. They are the team that is sitting kind of third chair and just watching Cincinnati and Kansas City go at it. They have to win before they can join the conversation of being involved in a non-divisional rivalry. So final thing that I want to get to here and coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk a little bit of Mizzou hoops after what they did this weekend. That was another other special performance, but Patrick Mahomes now joins Tom Brady as the only quarterbacks in NFL history to reach three Super Bowls in their first six seasons in the NFL. The only other quarterbacks that have gone to three or more in their entire NFL careers were John Elway, Roger Staubach, and Peyton Manning. So you've got five guys. Elway, Manning, Staubach, Brady, Mahomes. Those are the five that have ever gone three three or more Super Bowls in their careers. Right now, with what we have witnessed in Patrick Mahomes' career, Alex, legacy-wise, what does all of this mean? What we've seen from him, it's, it's five seasons that he's played, but the first six years of his NFL career. Where are we at with Patrick Mahomes after what we witnessed last night? I think we're at the point where when you talk about the greats of the game, you put his name among those. And it's hard to deny it for one, how many times he's been to the Super Bowl and what is it? Six years. He's now been to the Super Bowl four times and you have an opportunity three times. You have an opportunity to win your second Super Bowl. You've got the MVP underneath you. I saw something also that in terms of postseason touchdowns thrown by a quarterback before the age of 29, he's like 18 more than Brett Favre. So when you talk Patrick Mahomes, yeah, so far, most passing touchdowns in the postseason before turning 28, Patrick Mahomes has 32 second in NFL history is Brett Favre with 18. I mean, that's nearly double. Yeah. 
So the next best. <laughs> yeah. So when you talk about Patrick Mahomes, you're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks to play. And I think you're just going to continue to build that because remember the narrative in the offseason when Tyree Kill left, it was, well, this is where you start to see Kansas City kind of crumble. They fall to pieces because of this. It's not going to happen. And you saw why last night, because Patrick Mahomes is just that good. I was going to say this, that was, he's going to be one of those guys that's brought up in the conversation. He's really going to skyrocket on that board of greatest quarterbacks of all time with the second Super Bowl. And especially with the band of misfits at wide receiver that the Chiefs have, because you look at Kansas City, it's not like he has a go-to wide receiver. Now, yes, he does have Travis Kelsey, a go-to tight end, but he doesn't have that guy in the wide receiver room. He he, he doesn't. He, he's working with a band of misfits. And if he can take that team to the Super Bowl and win it in his second in his career already, yeah, he's going to climb fast on the list of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I think the only guys right now that you can definitively put above him, Brady, Manning, Elway, Montana. And I think by the end of his career, you're going to put him in the same category as those players. I agree. But like if, if his career ended today, the guys that I think you can st- you, you would still for sure have ahead of him because of team accomplishments, personal accomplishments, greatness of the player, the way that they play the game, whatever it is, impact on the game. I, I can't put him yet in the same category as Brady, Manning, Elway, or Montana. Anybody else you want to throw out there? Anybody else in the history of the league? I think there's at least a conversation to be had at this point. Given the fact that he has now been to his third Super Bowl, and if he wins another, boy, don't let him win another. But if he gets to another Super Bowl and wins it, now we can have some more conversations. He's putting himself already in a rarefied air with the way that he's performed in the playoffs, the team accomplishments, the personal accomplishments with multiple MVPs. The talent around him in the same conference and division. And you're still coming out on top. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. And last night was just the latest in a long list of accomplishments for Patrick Mahomes. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Missouri had a big win over the weekend. And Dennis Gates is proving that it doesn't take multiple years to be able to turn things around, even at a job that's been down for a couple of seasons. We'll get to that coming up at 1130. Questions and answers at 1145-314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. But coming up next... What's going on with these slow starts for the St. Louis Blues? We got to discuss it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We need to go into a Colorado game and be emotionally engaged in the game right away from start to finish. That's what I'm looking Here's for. Here's Newhook. Brings it in. Oh. Shoots it on. Save is made. The rebound scored. Abs take a one nothing lead. O'Connor to Gerard. Rebound there. Tap in. Comfer. 2 nothing Colorado. He is near side. Score. From Nathan McKinnon on the rush goal. And the Abs have made it 3 nothing. The third period showed that we can play like this. You know, it's just, but it just it just has to be every single shift. we got to play hard. And, uh, you know, because we took the game over in the third. And, uh, you know, like it was fun to play. Man, another game, another slow start. That voice you heard at the beginning was Craig Burby on the fast lane on Friday. Talking about what he wanted to see early in that game. He wanted to see emotion. He wanted to see them playing with passion. And then, of course, you get down once again 3 to nothing, And with Alex Ferrari and Tanner Hendrickson on Brandon Kylie. It was the same story from there. The Blues have now been outscored 15 to nothing to begin their last four games. They've been outscored 3 to nothing, 5 nothing, 4 nothing and 3 nothing in those four games before they got on the board themselves. 
They have not scored a first period goal in more than 104 minutes of game time. Alex, what is going on with the Blues, the slow starts and their inability to seemingly get up for these games whenever they start? They're just not emotionally invested right now. And it seems crazy to say because these are professional athletes and you expect them to be emotionally invested. But I mean, what else can you say when you hear what Craig Berube is saying? This is the part that gets me when people bring up the coaching side of things. What Craig Berube said to our listeners, to Jamie Rivers and Anthony Stalter, is exactly what he is saying to Chris Kerber on pregame and to these players on the ice at practice and in games and in the locker room. We need to be ready for Colorado. The problem is they're not ready for Colorado. I was out on an island myself in that game because – the first period was better than the first period that they had against the Arizona Coyotes and better than what they had against the Buffalo Sabres. The problem was they're still turning the puck over, and that's the emotional investment that Craig Bruby is talking about. It's not so much the effort. The effort's there. They opened up against Colorado with physical play. They were putting the puck down below. They were creating some scoring chances. Their power play that they had actually looked pretty good. But one dumb turnover turns into the puck in the back of your net. And then another dumb turnover turns the puck over and into the back of the net. Then the head dips. Then there's no confidence. It's starting to eerily feel like 2019 again with this team. Not so much the cup run, but the... It's 20. This team, yeah, but this team needs confidence. So I guess it's 2018 before Baruby took over. Oh, I see what you're saying. This team does not have confidence right now. And as soon as one bad thing goes wrong, it's game over. They found it late, but they found it because their goaltender dragged them into the fight, despite what people like to believe. But this is an ongoing. I actually agree with you on this one, for this, what it's worth. I, I was so frustrated, not to get on a on a, on a pedestal here and, and start ranting, but I was so frustrated the amount of people that were talking about Bennington after that game. But the slow starts are a product of players not being emotionally invested in what Craig Bruby is asking them to be. When you get emotionally invested in the third period, you're chasing a hockey game and you're not going to come back against these opponents. They're just, they're just chasing right now. And they, and they, for some reason can't seem to get started right off the bat. And it is that emotionally invested. I, I think this team was broken after the loss to the Chicago Blackhawks. I, I think, you know, we've talked about it from the outside. Oh, see, I think in. Arizona broke them. Uh, I, I think I think the Chicago one because I think from the outside looking in, you know, we got, we kept saying, no, they're done, they're done. It's going to be Army's going to be selling off piece of the deadline in that locker room. I think they truly believed, hey, we can still go on a run. And when they lose a game that they knew they should have won because they weren't emotionally ready to go at the very beginning against the Chicago Blackhawks, I think it just took all the wind out of their sail. And ever since then, they haven't been able to regain any momentum. And and they just they look like a team that knows that they're looking around knowing, okay, a bunch of these guys that I'm playing with today aren't going to be on this team moving forward. They look like a team that knows that it's going to be blown up once you get to the March 3rd deadline. And that just sucks the life out of the team. They, they look like a team. That's playing, what are they, the eighth worst team in the NHL mm-hmm. right now? They look like a team that knows it's over. So I, I think it is part of motion. There's, I, I don't blame Craig Berube for this. It's just a, they just look like they know they're done. And, and that's what that's what it comes down to for me. I, I think they're a team that says, man, we, we can't climb out of this hole. We thought we could. It's over. By March 3rd, we're going to be looking around. There's going to be a bunch of new faces in this locker room. The Blues have played like a bottom five team in the NHL over the last two weeks. Since January 12th, they have lost six out of eight. Their two wins were a two-to-one win against Ottawa and then a really nice victory against Nashville. They played well in that game. But other than that, they've looked terrible. And they've played terrible against poor opponents. That's what's the, the hardest part for me to be able to understand, Alex, is like, when I was out of town, 
I flipped on the the Arizona Coyotes game, and I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm sure that they'll at least perform well in this. Right, I had a little bit of time. You were uh, wrong. <laughs> they you were rare. I turned it wrong. on, and it was already three to nothing. It's like against against Arizona, and then I would check back in, looked over at my buddy, four nothing. Looked over again, it's five nothing. What is going on against Arizona? Arizona is all they're try they are actively trying to lose. Yeah, and you had no interest in playing in that game. Man, if you can't get up for that, then I I don't really know what to tell you. Like it's the the players. Doug Armstrong said this a few years ago, where he said, "Hey, the, the players will tell me what I need to do at the deadline." He said it back in November in their eight game losing streak. Guys, the players have told us they didn't have to say anything. They don't need to. I don't need to hear anything that anybody in that locker room has to say. Those guys have pride. Man, they they put on a, a pretty good effort to be able to get this thing back to respectability. They had us all questioning like. Can, can they? Can, can they get into the playoffs? And the answer is no. They just don't have the horses this year. They don't have the horses, whether it's the energy, the pat, whatever it is, whatever your explanation excuse you want to look into, this is just not their year. And the last eight games have proven that. And now the focus shifts once again back to Doug Armstrong. And I heard earlier today the morning show was saying, should the Blues tank? And the Welcome to tanking. They're there. There, There's no decision to be made. Like, whether you sell off your assets or not, you're losing. This team is not going to do any sort of competing this year. That part of the conversation is over. And now we move on to, all right, when they sell, what do they sell, and what do they get in return? We're, We're officially there at this point. Joe and I had a really good conversation. I think it was Thursday on the pregame show because we were talking about Gary Bettman's comments last week saying that, you know, no team tanks in the NHL because their percentage only gets to 25% if you're the worst team. And and I laughed at that because there are teams that tank in the NHL. But Joey said individual players don't tank. Teams tank. Absolutely. Selling off assets. And you construct your roster in a way that it doesn't matter how hard the players are playing. They're not talented. The Coyotes aren't trying to tank to get the first over because none of those players care if Connor Bedard is on their team. But the owner of the Arizona Coyotes doesn't want to be there. Bill Armstrong (laughs) begging to leave. Bill Armstrong has constructed his team to get the first overall pick. The same can be said about the Chicago Blackhawks. So for anybody that's questioning, oh, what do they do here? Do they read to They're about to go into that. You're going to sell off your pieces. You're going to gain assets, and you're going to tell the players that are on your roster, if you think you're good enough, go out there and build it. What Doug Armstrong said in November when they were in the eight-game losing streak was, this is either a player problem or a roster construction problem. I still think it's both. I believe you have a player problem in terms of individuals who don't want to play to the level that Craig Berube is asking them to, but you've got a roster problem. And when you have both, welcome to tank mode, ladies and gentlemen. So this is it. The goal for me, I shouldn't say the goal for me because I'm just a fan. The goal for fans right now to watch for is you want to get yourself a decent pick because that's how you start the the soft retool to compete next year. Because believe it or not, this team does have the talent to do that next season and put themselves back into a competitive mode. But there are things that have to happen this season to get there. So if you look at how have the Blues played in this eight-game stretch where, you know, it's been bad. 29th in goals four per game, 28th in goals allowed per game. It's not going to win like that, man. Like right now, they're not doing anything well. They're not doing the goal suppression. They're not doing the goal scoring. None of it's there. 
And now what it looks like coming up is Winnipeg, and then you've got this 10-day stretch where you're off, and then coming out of the break, you've got Arizona, which we'll see how that looks. And then it's Florida, New Jersey, Colorado, Carolina. Like, it ain't getting better, guys. It's not. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And I, I don't think this team is bad enough to be able to get into the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Like, maybe you'll have a 10% chance to be able to select him number one with the the lottery. But you're you're one of the eight or nine worst teams in the NHL. And you're in that, like, probably six to ten type of a range when it comes to the worst teams in the league. And that's the lot that the Blues have right now. And the tough part is we got three more months to watch this, man. (laughs) Three months of just. Uh, It's called My Mock NHL. And uh, you'll be able to mock draft every single day to see where the Blues get. I did it six times and they got Connor Bedard. Maybe that's going to be our new thing is a a mock draft every day. (laughs) If anybody wants to know, Connor Bedard right now is 85 points in 33 games. So. Close eye I'm going to need one. you to start giving us scouting reports on the other players okay. that are going in the top 10. I can do that. I can do that. When you uh, get back from Disney World, I expect guy, that to be ready to go. There's a guy named uh, Adam Fantilli with the Michigan Wolverines. Okay. Hell of a player. Keep an eye out. There's a six-foot center. Uh, Matt Fachuk. Hell of a player. So Sounds like Matthew Kachuk, but a little well, different. Yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't get Matthew Kachuk, so why not Matt Fachuk? There we go. He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. But coming up next... That was the exact kind of win that Missouri needed in order to solidify its tournament resume. Now that it's there, what's the ceiling look like for this team if they continue playing this way? And has Dennis Gates proven that if you're another college basketball team's fan, you can get this turned around pretty quick if you get the right guy for the job. We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time to talk about my Missouri Tigers. Man, Whoa, it was a great weekend. Missouri Tigers. Everything was VK over the weekend. By I the to way, see you guys. I saw you yesterday. Um, it's good to see you again today, Alex. Before you head out on vacation with your unlimited vacation days. <laughs> Air Comfort Service text line three one four three nine 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 six four six. Feel free to jump in on this, but I blame you for this weather. I do too, man. You last return. week, last week we had weather where we were walking around with no jacket. Really? Yeah. yeah. And then you come back from Orlando, snow and ice. Yeah, it's not great. It's I, I looked at the uh, my trash. phone while we were down in Orlando and it was seventy degrees and said, oh, so next week the high for every day is below thirty. Yes. <laughs> it sounds great. Lovely. Can't just, wait. Just a trash. <laughs> That's on me. But Coming I also BK. brought with me good karma for the Missouri Tigers on Saturday and the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. And your Eagles are moving on to the Super Bowl as well. So good for them. I think that's a different. What do the Eagles say? Man, that was pretty good. I thought I missed you guys. Uh, on Saturday, you the did. Missouri Tigers were able to take down Iowa State, a top 15 team in the country, boys. And Mizzou now has wins against number 12, Iowa State, number 16, Illinois, number 19, Kentucky, and number 25, ooh, Arkansas. Ooh, ooh. That's four wins against top 25 opponents, boys. The hell does Illinois have, T-Bone? Um, Nothing. Yeah. Uh, we've beaten Arizona. No, was it Arizona? <laughs> No. UCLA was no. ranked pretty high. That was a good one. That was a good win. They've got they've got another big one. I'm trying to play Texas. On who, Texas, that's who it was. Well, they For some reason, in Arizona. Oh, wait. All right. No, that really? That, no, that's didn't. not neat. Yeah, UCLA and Texas, those that. are a couple of really good wins for Illinois. Uh, the Missouri Tigers over the weekend, I, I think that was the win that pushes them over the top, guys. I, I think they now officially have a resume that, barring something unforeseen, 
I expect this team now to make the NCAA tournament. Now, we'll see what the ceiling is, like what they're playing for the rest of the year now is is seeding and how high they can get in terms of the seeding for the NCAA tournament. But barring some kind of a collapse, I fully expect this Missouri Tigers team to be playing in March Madness this year, Alex. I do, too. That was an impressive victory against Iowa State. Where, By the way, Iowa, Iowa State, a ranked team, they didn't look like a ranked team the way that Missouri was playing them. I was a little surprised at that competitive level were for Iowa State. Uh, but yeah, this is it for them. They're they're beating these ranked opponents. They look like a tournament team. If this is what pushes them over, that's even more exciting. But once again, the narrative of that game, and I was watching it at the same time as the, the, uh, the Blues and Avalanche game, the narrative of this team is the ability to force turnovers. What did they have in that game? 20 turnovers, Iowa State? Uh, Iowa State finished with 19 in the game. I, I mean... The ability to force turnovers with their speed and Kobe Brown dominated once again, that is that's their path to victory is forcing those opponents with their speed and skill to turn the ball over and then score points off of those turnovers with quick transition. I think the other thing that I would point to is they're starting to shoot the basketball well again. Yeah, yeah. they shot 47 percent against Iowa State. They had shot well in their last couple of games, too, and that like. For Missouri, when they shoot it well, and this is the case for a lot of teams, but especially for Mizzou, when they shoot it well from deep, man, they look really good. They look unstoppable at times offensively, and that's what it looked like on Saturday. There was just nothing Iowa State could do defensively, and that's one of the best defensive teams in the country. And when they don't, when they stop hitting those open threes, man, that offense looks like it is completely bogged down. And suddenly you're having to go, everything has to flow through Kobe Brown on the inside, and things get really tough. For Mizzou. So what we saw against Iowa State is is what they look like at their best. What we saw against Alabama is what they look like at their worst. What I think has been most impressive for me is watching the way that Dennis Gates has been able to reincorporate Isaiah Mosley into the rotation. Yeah. Mosley was out for the vast majority of this season. He comes back. And man, over the last few games, you can tell the difference that he makes. He adds some energy, some spark, especially on the fast break. His shooting ability has completely changed the way that they can play offensively. Just adds one more weapon to their backcourt, and they needed it. They needed an infusion of that talent. And the other guy that I would add into that mix as well is Diara. Modiar has become a player that this team kind of needs, especially when they're going up against bigger teams on the interior. He's not a perfect player. He's not a guy that's going to come in and score 20 points on any given night. But they desperately needed a little bit of size, and he's been the guy that they've been able to go to in big spots to be able to give them some of that on the interior. So that's those are the two guys that when I look at, okay, what has Dennis Gates done in season that has transitioned this team from what they were against Illinois to what they have become now? It's those two players in the way that he's incorporated them into the, the rotation. Yeah, and they desperately needed someone to be able to help them kind of take down some of that size miss or disadvantage that they had because that's how they've lost some of these closer games. I mean, you look at some of their road games. I do think they're still missing a decent road win. They don't really have one. I know they've beat Wichita State on the road, but that that's an okay win. I mean, you look at their you look at them though. They those road losses that they've had where they've been pretty close. It's been the rebounds have been what have killed them, or where they could have won the game. Like I'm looking at the. Uh, I believe it was the Arkansas game where they end up losing mm-hmm. by six. They were up big. The problem was that the size ended up just wearing them down. So if they can kind of bring him into the lineup, take away some of that rebound disadvantage that they have because they are a smaller team, then they're even going to be even better than what they are right now. So, I, but again, I do think they're missing that one big road win. But they have a chance to do that. I mean, they've got a couple good road games coming up: Tennessee, Auburn, which will be tough. So they'll have a couple chances. But I do think they are a tournament team right now. They're probably around a ten seed. I'd Qu- say. Question for you, BK, because somebody texted this Air Comfort Service text line three 3-1- one. 
314-399-9646. Missouri Tigers recruiting class is great, but what or who can Coach Gates get from the transfer portal? I'm not asking for names, but is that concerning at all that he's had success this season, but a lot of those guys that he recruited and brought over in the transfer portal, they're going to be gone next year. No, man, I'll figure that out when we get there. Like we've got, do you still have faith that he can do that in his second season? I mean, I have no reason not to like, We've seen one season from him so far, and he brought in from the transfer portal DeAndre Golston, Isaiah Mosley, Demoy Hodge, Noah Carter, Sean East from Juco. Uh, De- uh, who else am I missing here? Trey Gamillion from the transfer portal, Nick Honor from the transfer portal, uh, and Modiar from the Juco ranks as well. Like you know, two guys that came back from the team a year ago. Yeah, I would say that I've got a decent amount of faith that he's going to be able to get guys out of the portal, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, three months from now, whenever the season's over, I, I'm not there yet. I do think though, like to that point, looking back at what Dennis Gates has done to me and Tanner, I know you disagree with this, but I think that what we're watching this season from Dennis Gates, and I think you can point back to Iowa state as well with their coaching staff and what happened over the last couple of years after the Steve prom disaster in 2021, I think it proves that you can turn things around really quickly now in college basketball because of the transfer portal. Iowa State was 2-22 and in 2021. Again, they won two games in 2021. The very next season, they hire a new coach and win 22 games and end up going to the NCAA tournament. The very next season. Now you're watching that kind of a turnaround at Missouri with Dennis Gates where is Mizzou one of the 20 best teams in the country? No, probably not. But they're really good, and they have a clear identity. And he was able to develop this through the transfer portal and a couple of key recruits. I think you now know if you've got the right coach or not within a couple of seasons. If your guy is not able to turn things around quick now in college basketball with the transfer portal in probably two seasons, or you at least don't have a clear idea of like what the identity is going to be for that team, I think you know pretty quickly now what whether or not you've got the right guy. And Dennis Gates clearly to me has proven already that he is that guy. Yeah, see, I, I still think that a head coach – I don't disagree that a coach can quickly turn it around, but I, I still think a head coach needs probably a four-year grace period. That way he can bring in recruits, he can hit the transfer portal, because there are going to be times where he thinks he has somebody – and he's just wrong. And I, I don't think that necessarily means, like, if this didn't work out for Mizzou in year one, let's say these transfers came in and they were still kind of the team we saw in years prior, I wouldn't necessarily be jumping on Dennis Gates for saying, oh, well, what? he's not going to be able to turn this around. It's done. He just had a bad year in terms of recruiting. And looking at uh, the Illini head coach, I mean, Brad Underwood was not good in his first two seasons with Illinois. It took him a couple of years to figure out, okay, how am I going to approach this? Am I going to go into the transfer portal? I need to work with some of the guys that I kept around in, in the system when I convinced them to stay when I took over as the coach. I also need to be able to recruit and bring in my own talent that I really want. So I think a head coach still needs a four-year grace period. I, but I, I do think some coaches can turn around in two years. I, I expect in this case to have a pretty good team going into next season whenever he figures out his recruiting and what he brings into the transfer portal. But I do think some coaches need just a little bit more time than just a quick one, two years to get it turned around. Some coaches need more of a grace period, four or five years, to make sure they can get it done. How long did it take for Brad Underwood? It was like two years? Took him, yeah, two years and he got it figured out. But, you know, I, I think if you were looking at the end of that eighteen nineteen season, it wasn't very clear of what the direction was for the Illini basketball program. I mean, they... They were had less wins. They did have more Big Ten wins. They were seven and thirteen, but he missed the tournament, and it was one of those. Okay, where are we going now? The picture was kind of clear because like he had what Desumo. The identity was though. It, it felt kind of clear because he had Desumo and you had Coburn, but I wasn't sure how he was going to build around them. And he did a really good job of building around them. But I, again, 
I still think the head coach needs about four years to get things figured out. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we got to talk about the rest from yesterday. Listen, I understand. I'm not disagreeing with anybody who says that the officiating was not good yesterday. Agreed. Like On all fronts, I totally agree with that. Can we stop blaming them for teams losing, though, and just appreciate the games every once in a while? Because I feel like the only thing we talk about now is the officiating missed this. The officiating is to blame for that. No, man, sometimes the games, actually, the players do determine the outcomes of the games. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, questions and answers, 314-399-9646 here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by James Carlton with State Farm. Have drivers under 25 on your insurance? Save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net. 399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, true or false? Last night, Joe Burrow lost millions of dollars with the way that he performed in that game. What? Like that he's not going to get paid by Cincinnati? Man, I don't know what's going on, but people be wild out here. I feel like I am becoming a, an old man right before our very eyes. Oh, well, it's probably spending too much time with... Uh, Colonel Mustard over here. I I don't know when this happened, but at some point, I guess in the last 15 years or something, every game has become a referendum on a player. Whether you're good or bad, elite or terrible, a coach should be fired or hired. Like, man, sometimes we can just watch these games, appreciate them for what they are, and then add in the context of, man, that guy's always been really good and it was an off night. That does happen occasionally. No. The weird part is I actually thought Joe Burrow was pretty damn good given his circumstances yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) What was the number you just read off? He was pressured on what? 40% of his dropbacks. And one of that intercept, one of the two interceptions he threw was solely on the wide receiver bobbling. Joe Burrow was under pressure on 43% of his dropbacks yesterday. Mm. 43%. Two out of every five times that he dropped back, basically. Wow. He had an average time to throw, Alex of 2.6 seconds, which is essentially what Tom Brady's average time to throw is. So he was getting rid of the ball quickly and it didn't matter. And this is what we were talking about before the game yesterday in our pregame show, Tanner, is I thought there was a real question of, okay, was the O-line performance against Buffalo real? Or was that a mirage that was made possible, at least in part because of the weather in Buffalo where they were in the snow and it's tough to get footing that way. I think what we saw is it's kind of twofold. The Bills defensive line is not as good as the Chiefs is, and the weather definitely had an impact. Yesterday, that offensive line was a large reason why the Bengals were not able to get anything going offensively the way that they did against uh, the Bills. So, yeah, I I think Burrow's going to get all of the money, like $50 million a year. No problem. I'd be happy to pay him that. It's very funny. worth every penny. It's very funny that you think after one game, Cincinnati's be like, ha, Trash performance, Joey B. No money for you. 
Yeah, I, I think he's going to be one of three quarterbacks that potentially get $50 million. I think it'll be him. Daniel Jones. Joe Burrow. <laughs> no, if he gets $50 million, we've got a major issue in New York. Uh, and I, I think it's going to be Justin Herbert. And if there's one quarterback you really want to question it with, with their kind of thought process, it would be uh, Justin Herbert getting paid because he hasn't done anything in the playoffs. But he's clearly one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, But yeah, I, I thought Burrow was fine given the circumstances. I, I thought the O-line would play a little bit better. I, I thought in Buffalo was a bit of a mirage, but I didn't think it would be as bad as it was yesterday. But Burrow's just gotten used to that. I mean, he's used to not having time to throw. It's why he's typically the second quickest to get the ball out of his hands right behind Tom Brady. So under those circumstances, he was fine yesterday. I mean, he even hit on some deep throws too. So yeah. Gave Chase a couple of opportunities, gave Higgins that opportunity on the deep ball. Like he was good. He was Pay good. my he's- man. Pay my man his 50 mil. He's worth every penny of it. Uh, by the way, speaking of this and the money that players are going to get in the offseason, the NFL just informed teams that the 2023 salary cap is going to be $225 million, an increase of almost right. $17 million from this past year. Green Bay year. can afford Aaron Rodgers now. From the 314. <laughs> Guys, do you think that Cincinnati Bengals fans got too quickie? Take two. Too they, cocky, they, had a, they had a quickie? Too cocky, too quickly. In all reality, they haven't done anything yet. Uh, no, I, I think no. that Bengals fans had every right to be cocky and confident about their team to this day. And I know this is going to sound weird coming from me. I think that the Bengals were the better team this year than the Kansas City Chiefs. Overall, I think top to bottom, they were they were better constructed. They were a more all-around, well-rounded team. But the Bengals were the best team in the NFL personally this season. On one day, in Arrowhead, with a depleted offensive line, they lost. Yeah. That happens. A healthy offensive line. I think we're talking about a different type of game last night. Absolutely. But I no, I don't think they got too cocky. I think they deserved to be confident going yeah. into that game. I think that they've got an awesome team and a fantastic quarterback and a pretty damn good coaching staff. There's a, difference between, there's a difference to me between being cocky and confident. Cocky is when you don't show that you're that good and you still act like you are. Confident is you're showing you're that good and you are that good. Cocky is the Bills. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the, the Bills have nothing. not earned the right to have the confidence that both the Chiefs and the Bengals have, or now the Eagles have. Like they, they have not earned that right yet. The Bengals have. They, yeah. they beat the Chiefs last year in the AFC Championship game on the road, and they came pretty darn close to doing it again this year. Yeah, and even though they didn't have an offensive line, it was fair to kind of have that cockiness to them because Burrow's won did. without yeah. an offensive line. I mean, hell, he almost won a Super Bowl last year if it wasn't for Aaron Donald just going beast mode in the <laughs> second half. So. Yeah, I think they have every right to kind of feel the way they did. And I agree with PK. I, I thought they were the better team at injuries, not played a factor into that game. Uh, six, three, one, four, three, nine, 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 six, four, six is the air comfort service text line. I gave you slack that first week. I did it at least Once four times show. last yeah. week. Yeah, okay. Okay. it was that rough. Makes me feel better. It was rough. Uh, from the six, one, eight guys, is Travis Kelsey, a better tight end than Rob Gronkowski was. Who would you rather have in their prime? Hasn't he overtaken Gronk in terms of touchdowns in the postseason? Yeah, I mean, it, he's second to Jerry Rice in basically every statistical category now. <laughs> yeah, in the I'd postseason. say he's better than Gronk then. He's already got more receiving yards than Gronk in less seasons, too. They're yeah. just so different. Um, it's almost like asking me who would you rather have, Shaquille O'Neal or Kobe Bryant in their primes, right? Like, Shaq was this Rock dominant Yeah, I would say you ask Rock, it's Shaq because Kobe's trash. I think that it's a fair argument, and that's why I'm going back to Rob Gronkowski, and I'm Chiefs fans. Like, Listen, it's hard for me to argue against Travis Kelsey, but Gronkowski in his prime, man, was so freaking dominant. You just, you couldn't tackle him. Yeah. 
he he looked like a Frankenstein out there just running over dudes. So, Literally with all the equipment on him. Yeah, Kelsey's I, kind of that way too, though, because when he starts running, he's not a difficult I, thing to take down. I think Kelsey's a better route runner than Gronk ever was, and I think that's kind of the difference for me. Gronk I actually, was the the blocking prototypical tight yeah. end, and Kelsey's all of the wide receiver. Gronk tight end. was yeah. get the ball to me in space, and I'll just bulldoze my yeah. way to the end zone. Kelsey's more of a refined route runner, get the ball, and then. It's like yes, Jerry he can Rice truck versus guys. like Terrell Owens yeah. or Calvin yeah. Johnson. Like it's just such a, they play the same position technically, but it's, it, they go about it in such different yeah. ways. I mean, I'll take, it's kind of the conversation about Mahomes versus Burrow, right? Where it's like, you take one, I'll take the other. Whoever you don't want, I'll take. That's a conversation with these two, but um, that's the way that I would go. Somebody from the 618 says, Kobe's trash, bro, get out of here. Get off the radio. That was Rocky. Did, and that's actually say- edited compared to what the 618 just said. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> 618, you're a little rough today. Did somebody say that Kobe Strash? We were mocking Rockio because okay. Rockio said that Kobe wouldn't be in top the top 10. Player, right? Yeah, yeah, top 10 or whatever. We were mocking. Was. So calm down, he 618. He benefited from having Shaq. Well. Learn, learn what sarcasm sounds like and then come back with us with a little more calmed down text. You sound Sorry, like BK in the first segment. Man, BK was yelling at me, even though I was on the same page as BK, yet I was text the one who is, took the blame. Text I think I'm a little hot there. I apologize. Yeah, I, you know, I'll wear it today. Tomorrow, mm, you better get your attitude <laughs> in the right text spot. Text line is... Uh, Primed up today. In 15 minutes, we're playing a game of in or out. And at 12:30, who deserves the most blame for the Blues' issues this season? We'll get all get to all of that coming up at the 12 o'clock hour. But next, all right, we see your texts. We understand you're very upset about the officiating in the yesterday's games. We will address it and exactly what kind of impact they had on the games yesterday. We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. What we're not going to do is we're not going to sit up here and act as though the refs cost the Cincinnati Bengals the football game. I agree. I mean, you you cannot push a what? guy out of bounds and no, into, no, the no, fire, into the fire pit, almost into the fire pit. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes is going to put a little yeast on it and uh, flop a little bit, but he should. Right. He got I mean, he was pushed Jay, out Jay, of bounds, I agree with Key. and he shouldn't have been pushed out of bounds. That was Keyshawn Johnson earlier today on ESPN Radio talking about the topic of the day, of course, because this is what we do. We can't watch an NFL football game and enjoy it for what it was. we got to talk about the refs. And to be fair, they gave us reason to talk about them. So that's what we will do. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Good to be back with you guys this week. So yesterday, I would say the first game was weird, right? There's not a close enough score for any of us to really talk about whether or not the refs included themselves in the outcome in, of the game. In a sequence of plays, San Francisco lost Fred Warner, Brock Purdy, and then Bosa. There was the weird play where it was pretty clear to everybody watching that Devontae Smith did not catch the football on a massive play in that game, and they did not end up challenging it. They didn't overturn it. They didn't get the uh, decision in there quickly enough. Probably shouldn't have counted, but neither here nor there. Then on a punt, the ball pretty clearly hit the the sky cam wire and they weren't able to overturn it because they didn't have a clear angle of it. So they decided not to change that one either. Weird stuff happened in that game. 
But it was a 31 to seven game. And so nobody's really talking about those, nor should they, because it, it did not matter. The Eagles just went out there and dominated and the 49ers didn't have a functioning quarterback by the middle of the second quarter. The Chiefs Bengals game is where all of the focus is. And guys, I just have a tough time doing this. Were there some bad calls that went in one way or the other? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Should there have been a block in the back called on that final punt return? I think there's a case to be made that there should have been. Should there have been a hold on Patrick Mahomes' run? I don't think so. because I And I would be saying the same thing, I promise you, if it went in the other direction. We see those kinds of plays all the time. Where if you're using the rip move as a defensive lineman, you know there's a chance that the opposition puts their basically their arm around your throat. And I know it looks really bad. I'm with you guys. That's very rarely called. Very rarely. Could it be? Yes. Is it often called? No. Um, the other one, the third down, third and nine, that, that got replayed. It looked really bad on the broadcast. No doubt about it. I'm with you guys. It looked like they gave the Chiefs a free play there. Even if I were to concede that they messed that up, and I don't because you could clearly see later on there was a ref that was coming in trying to stop the play. It was very loud. There was no way for them to do so. But even if I concede the point and just say, yeah, they messed that up, guys, three plays later, the Chiefs were punting from one yard in front of where that play took place. It had zero impact overall on that game. So when you look back on that, did the refs have a an impact on the game? Yeah, yeah, they did. They always do. Did the refs lose that game for the Cincinnati Bengals when they had the ball in a tie game with their superstar quarterback getting it at their own six? I understand tough, but they had the ball and two and a half minutes to go. No, the Bengals didn't take advantage of their opportunities. So we can assess that game without even bringing up the referees, but it feels like 60 plus percent of the conversations that are taking place today are on the referees. And that's so frustrating for me because we sat there yesterday and watched an awesome game. And most of the conversation seems to be about whether or not the referees impacted the result. I was watching it and, you know, you stay off of Twitter just so you can get your own opinion of how the game goes. And for me, I watched it and thought this was an awesome performance and one team just came up short. I know a lot of people go to pushing Mahomes out of play there and the extra yards that that, but that provided. Was the right that call. was the correct call. Absolutely. It, it, it should have been called either way. If it was Joe Burrow, I would be saying the same thing. Absolutely. You can't do it. If there's a quarterback, especially that's going out of bounds, once they take that first step out, you know, as a defensive player, I got to pull up. I cannot put my hands on him because even if I barely nudge him, they are calling that every time. So you get through that game and you think, man, that was just a really good performance. But then you go on social media and it's a matter of, oh, boy, this went that way. I saw a ton of people saying flags were 18 to six in favor of the road team. Couldn't it just be that the road team took more penalties than the home team? There was no... And only nine of them were accepted. Like <laughs> There was no play in that game, for me, where I felt like, damn, the refs just stole the momentum in this outcome. Everything that went into play between the Chiefs and Bengals, I felt was warranted. And that's why I asked you today, am I missing something here? Because I'm just watching it. But the amount of people that complain that say, oh, well, that shouldn't have happened, and that took away this momentum. The Chiefs had a, a, a interception and touchdown taken away from them, yeah. and we're still talking about the officials in that game stealing the game away from the Bengals. It's just it's it's ridiculous to me. 
Yeah, there was never a moment to me where it felt like the refs were the reason that the Chiefs won the game. They won the game because they were the better team yesterday. And yes, that was the correct call going out of bounds where Patrick Mahomes is shoved. He had two feet out of bounds. The referees got it right. If the refs would have blown a call that made a massive factor in the game, yes, I would be here today be saying about blaming it. the referees. I'm And the one I'm thinking of just the top of my head is when the Saints got ripped off from the LA Rams. That yeah, was from the very Rams, clear. Where it was clearly pass interference, the ball was not deflected, and the refs did not call a penalty, and it led to the Rams winning that football game. That's a different story. Yesterday, there was no flag that clearly indicated, boy, this is really taken away from the Cincinnati Bengals' chance to win. BK's right. They just didn't take care of business. They had every opportunity. When the Chiefs punted them the football back around the two-minute mark left in that football game, I went, oh, boy, they're giving the ball back to Joe Burrow. This isn't going to end up well Mm -hmm. for them. And they just missed out on their opportunity. The Cincinnati Bengals could have won that football game right there. They didn't take care of business. They have to give it back to Mahomes, and then they take the dumb penalty. That was the correct call that leads to the Kansas City Chiefs kicking the game-winning field goal with five seconds to go somebody else says the non-roughing call on burrow was also a factor guys there are so many non-calls or calls that people are complaining about that i don't even know what you're referencing welcome to pro sports i think what they're referencing is the chris jones sack and i'm guessing they think it was a roughing because he fell on him with his full body weight and like man do we really want that to be called they called they called a taunting penalty on andrew wiley on a big play for the chiefs where what he did was he was jumping up and down, clowning on a, t- a defensive player as they were moving up the field. Like, it, it went both ways, guys. It did. And were there penalties that went against the Bengals and they, they missed a block in the back on that punt return? Yes. Guys, that happens every single week. Every single week in every game, there are a couple of plays where maybe it's a missed call or it's a bad call. And the reason why we focus so much on them, especially in championship games, is because we're watching all of them. We see the entirety. Instead of us watching Red Zone or focusing on one game while 12 others are being played and we don't get to see the full slate, we don't see all of the bad calls that take place on a week-to-week basis. But this is the way that it is. This is how it goes. If you watch a basketball game, you probably watched the, the Lakers game over the weekend. Bad no call at the end of that one. It happens, guys. If you're watching a college basketball game, man, think about how many bad block charge calls there are over the course of a game. You got to be able to overcome those. The Bengals had their opportunity with two and a half minutes to go, a two minute drive to be able to take advantage. The Chiefs failed at the end of the first half. The Chiefs nearly failed at the end of the second half. Bengals had opportunities in both spots and didn't take advantage. That's on them. I'm not blaming the refs. I'm not blaming anybody else. They've got to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that were presented to them. If you just want to blame the refs, fine. But I think you're missing out on what was a special game, an awesome moment for all of us to be able to watch. That was three and a half hours of great, great entertainment. And if we're just going to distill every big time nationally televised game now into the bad calls that were taking place... Man, we're going to miss out on a lot of the entertainment value of what we're supposed to be watching right now, especially when it's Burrow versus Mahomes, and we only get so many of these. It was, it, It's okay to just appreciate the game that we watched instead of going back and trying to dive through every specific call that didn't go your way. And man, that is a, a tough way to go about it. And I, I promise you, I promise you I'd be saying the same thing if it went against the Chiefs. I promise. Because like we, we got one. I'll, we'll go ahead and go through this real quick. One person says, uh, guys, there was also a, a call that should have gone up against the Chiefs as Joe Mixon was running out of bounds. He got tackled out and they didn't call that. 
again, I, I don't know what that call was. I don't remember that specific play. But do you guys think that they call things a little differently when a quarterback is going out of bounds than when literally any other oh, yeah. ball carrier has That's, the ball? Isn't that why it's called roughing the passer? Like it, it happens all the time. If yeah. you're if it's Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes going out of bounds, they're going to call that differently than if it's Juju Smith Schuster mm-hmm. or Joe Mixon, especially a running back. Like, like that, that's what you're going through. I'm not saying it's right, but this is how they always call the game. But if you sit there and, and watch a game and say, "Oh, well, they should have called this one," you can do that on every single play because officials are going to miss calls. That's just the name of the game. It's called being a human. You see it in football and basketball and baseball and in hockey going to happen you can't sit there and nitpick of saying oh well you missed this call you should have had this call it's the impactful ones and the impactful ones were all justified in that game yesterday coming up in about 15 minutes or so who deserves the blame for the blues issues right now we'll talk about that coming up at 12 30 but coming up next 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service tax line if you've got a scenario we will tell you if we are in or out next you're on 101 espn We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. You know, you know when like winter break is tomorrow, but you've yeah. got school. Yeah. Oh, then you bomb your you, final. Yeah, you check out on that exam. Welcome yeah. to today. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service text line for in or out. You give us a scenario, we will tell you if we are in or out here on a one hundred one ESPN. Let's start out with this one, guys. In or out. The Philadelphia Eagles are clearly the best team in Ow. the NFL. Out. They're a great team. I have no idea what the Philadelphia Eagles are. No idea. Like, let's go through the checklist of who we beat. Okay. Daniel Jones, who arguably was great in that first week. Yeah, One sure. of the best quarterbacks yeah. in the playoffs. Remember the when he was the next great guy that the Giants had to resign oh, look, all the money? Victory lap. BK's back. Dale Earnhardt no, I mean, Jr.'s back, I, ladies and gentlemen. I'm returning with him, man. What? Didn't know where you were going with that. What are you talking about? Dale Earnhardt Jr. He has a lot of victory laps in NASCAR. Making sure we weren't going a different route. I appreciate that. I don't know what that means. It's all good, man. All right. Well, uh, I know that. I'm just making sure, man. He didn't seem to know. <laughs> What are you um, talking about? I thought you were going the senior route. No. Uh, and I was RIP for senior. not sure how to. He does have a, a son, ladies and gentlemen, who is in NASCAR. Oh, no. Who won a lot of races. <laughs> all right, all right. The, the look know. on your two faces was we just should, ridiculous. Did you have the same concern? Yeah, both yeah, of you yeah, just yeah. looked at me. <laughs> he does I, I have almost, a son who I races. I pulled off this maneuver where I click this button here and Ferrario's mic goes off and then we just move <laughs> forward. <laughs> Um, oh, you turned it off. <laughs> yeah, see, I was using the example of my power. Okay, so they beat the San Francisco 49ers this past week with basically no quarterback. Solid. It's fine. The Giants with Daniel Jones. The week before, the Giants with Daniel Jones. Week before that, they lost, but they had Minshew in, and they lost to the Cowboys with Minshew in. Before that, they beat the Bears, the Giants, the Titans with no quarterback, and then the Green Bay Packers. That's the last time they really beat a quality team with a high-level functioning quarterback. And I don't even know if you could totally say that he was a f- high-level functioning quarterback at that point in time with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Mm. Do we think that the Eagles should be favored in this game? 
No. I wouldn't favor them in this game. No, I would favor Kansas so City. Vegas has them as a two and a half point favor right now. Actually, Probably it might because be fair. of all the injuries. Yeah, I was going to say, it might be fair because of the injuries to the wide receiver group that but Kansas City has. But we don't know if they'll be healthy for yeah. Super Bowl week. I mean, you got two weeks before then. So I, I, now it would make sense that they're favored because of all those injuries. But I would almost guarantee by the time the Super Bowl rolls around, Kansas City will be the favorite. Yeah, don't be shocked if they become the favorites heading yeah. into the Super Bowl. Because one, you're going to have Mahomes who's going to be two weeks. closer to healthier. And we'll just see what the wide receiver set, what the status is of all those wide receivers. If they're healthy, I think the Chiefs are the better team. And like, though we talk about the Eagles and what are they, let's not act like Hurts had a great game yesterday. He didn't run the ball that well. He didn't really run at all, really. And he didn't Miles throw the Sanders ball very well. Sanders had a great well. game yesterday. And, the offensive line had a great yeah, game yesterday. Line dominated that game. And the fact of the matter that they were kind of hesitant in running Hurts makes me wonder if the shoulder's still a problem because when he was dealing with that, they didn't run him a lot. So if his shoulders messed up then yeah it's clearly an advantage to Kansas City and I just think Kansas City's the better team I think they got the better quarterback and I think overall the roster's a little bit better than the Eagles I do think the Eagles schematically run their system really well I just don't know if I would take them as the favorite over the everyone's Chiefs. narrative is going to be Hurts versus Mahomes my narrative is going to be Chris Jones versus that offensive line for Philly be because I, I they were outstanding in that game against San Francisco for Miles Sanders to be able to have that much clear space but Chris Jones was a man on a mission last night uh i I think that the Eagles, I, I, I would favor the Chiefs in this game. I know. Surprise. Homer. Um, I picked the Bengals yesterday, but I, I would I would have the Chiefs as a slight yeah, favorite. Let's let's throw out the, let's be honest here. You picked the Bengals because you be, you wanted to beat KLM, okay? I, you guys know it only works if I, if I really believe it. And yeah. yesterday I really believed it. Uh, Jack Flaherty, guys, mm. in or out from the 636, will finish in the top five in the Cy Young vote this year. In the National League. As Ready excited as in, we've but... been about Jack Flaherty, I'm going to say I'm out here. Jack Flaherty is going to have a great season. Jack Flaherty is not going to have a 2019 Cy Young season. So, where did Mike, did Michaelis finish in the top five votings last year in Cy Young? No. Uh, Michaelis, I don't think so. I don't. He doesn't even look like he got a vote. Yeah, I, okay. I don't think he Helsley got one vote last year. That's for surprising Cy Young. in itself. Yeah, no, I, I'm out on this one. I, I don't. Top five isn't going to be a tough, tough spot to crack in the National League. Yeah, I'm just looking here at the top five from last year. Gallon, Nola, Urias, Freed, and Alcantara. I mean, look, I think Flair is going to have a really good year, really good bounce back year, but I'm out on this. got to have a sub three ERA is essentially yeah. what this is asking. Sub three ERA, he's got to throw around 175 plus innings too. So I think he might reach the innings mark. I just don't know if he'll be in that ERA area because he's coming off of injury. They're going to probably be a little cautious with him early on, but I think he does have a really good year. He might get votes for Cy Young, but I don't know if he'll climb into top five. I'm out on that. I'm out on this as well. You do got Verlander in the National League this year too, which there goes some votes. It's it's just too much. Uh, The the bar to clear for this is too high. I think he's going to have a good season, and top five Cy Young is just too much. Uh, This one comes from the 314. Guys, in or out? When I see T-Bone out Eating in public, is it appropriate to say hi to him? In or out, is it appropriate to say hi to T-Bone when you see him out in public? Follow-up question, where was T-Bone eating? Was it at Helen Fitzgerald's Probably. where we had an awesome time at Champ Bash, or was it some random spot where T-Bone's sitting by himself? He's definitely getting hot dog. A quick trip. <laughs> oh, yeah, you see well, me there, yeah, come well, say hello. Well, then you can't walk up. I mean, you can't walk up and knock on his window and say hi to him because then it just looks a little weird. Yeah, I feel, yeah, feel yeah, like that's yeah. probably where he was. No, go ahead. Come up, say hello. Yeah, you got to walk up and you. say to us anytime. 
Anybody you see out in public. Even if you got headphones on, tap them on the shoulder and say what's up. I always kind of go with this operation. Uh, first of all, we're not this interesting, but... It's very true. If you if you yeah. see somebody that you would look back on and say, man, I wish I would have said something, say something. I, I definitely fit in that category. You know? What's the worst thing that can happen if you say something? They get angry? So then you and walk I'll, away, I'll, and now you know who that person is. I know I come off as angry on air. That's just because I got the old BK. I'm usually That's a nice hey, guy. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I am a very pleasant individual with manners outside of this show. I was having show. a good time yesterday, okay? I do think what you said, though, Alex, is a fair point. Like... If you're at a super nice family dinner, I think that's a different situation. And I'm not even talking about us. Just like in general, you see an athlete out, you see a celebrity, whatever. If you're going to say hi, it's one thing. If you're going to go get an autograph, I feel like that's another. Does that make sense? I I think in general at a nice dinner, I I would just avoid it. Probably when you're with family. Yeah. Like if you've got kids and you're out in public, even if it's not at a nice spot, but you're out with kids... There's a lot of other things going on sure. to where you sit there and be like, oh, hey, what's going on? And then figure out how to wrangle up those like, other let's kids. Let's say you see, I don't know, uh, Albert Pujols. He's, he's at Lowe's. Oh. He's at Lowe's? Lowe's? Depot, whatever. Wow. What's he getting? I, I don't know. Something for the house. He's got a he's got a project that he's working on, right? Right. And you're walking by. You say, hey, congrats on 700. Like, that's fine. Yeah. I got no issues with that, whether he's with his family, without him. It, but if you want him to sit down and, like, talk to you for 10 yes. minutes, that's a little bit yeah. Bingo. You, it, as long as it's kind of a passing. In passing. That's fine, but if you're going to make him, if you're stopping and wanting to have a conversation, unless it's a setting that's that's valid, I feel like you should just do the impasse and say, hey, what's up? Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Tanner has a junk drawer story for us Whoa. today. He said it's something about movies, so we'll get into that coming up in about 15 like minutes. It. But next, who deserves most of the blame for the Blues issues so far this season? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. So the Blues have lost four straight. They've lost six of their last eight. They're not performing well early in games. They have been outscored 15 to nothing to start things off in their last four games. They've not scored a first period goal in the last 105 minutes or in the first period in 105 minutes in total game time. Alex, the question now is who's to blame? Like people are looking for blame right now. And Jeremy Rutherford earlier today had a piece over on the athletic with a survey for blues fans. And one of his questions is exactly that. Who do you blame for the blues drop off in performance this season? Is it on Armstrong? Is it on Craig Berube and this coaching staff? Or is it simply on the players? When you hear that and you are given those three options, army Berube or the players, where do you fall on who deserves the most blame? It's the players. A lot of people will pr- will point to Doug Armstrong and say, well, it's his fault because he constructed this roster. Okay. He also constructed last season's roster, and that was a roster that nearly beat Colorado in the postseason. And I get it. No David Perron that makes a difference. So, yeah, I can understand some of the blame being pointed towards him. And, of course, it goes all the way back to Alex Petrangelo, where some of the blame can be pointed towards him. I, I see 0% of the blame towards Craig Berube because Craig Berube has – said the things that you want a head coach to say. He's called out the players when things have gone bad. He's defended the players when things have gone better than we've expected it to be. And the game plan is the same. We see the success with the game plan and the games that they win. Nashville, Edmonton, uh, they've won these games. Minnesota, when they beat them three to nothing, we've seen it. But then the other games, you don't see it. 
That's why I go to the players, because this roster is the same minus David Perron. It's the same leadership. It's the same talent. It's the same defense. It's the same goaltending. Actually, better goaltending. And yet you come out with zero to show. I mentioned about a month ago, I think, where it was following a game where the Blues did not look good in the first two periods. They had a rah-rah speech in the second intermission, came out and won the third. And we were all talking about how it was a great win by them. But I questioned, what does it mean that you're in January and your team has to have a rah-rah speech to come out and perform better in the third? So if I'm picking blame, a large percent of that pie is going towards the players. I I agree with you. I I think a big chunk of the pie goes to the players. Now, I do think there is some on both Army and Baruby, but I think the biggest chunk is on the players because, as you said, it is mostly the same roster than what you had last year. Army didn't make a ton of changes. Yes, he let Perron walk, but that was really the only big loss, minus our boy Huso, that they had in the offseason. They're better because of it. Well, yeah, you know, we could argue that. But uh, I, I I do think it's on the players. I mean, to your point, how often is it that I've turned on a game and went, boy, they forgot puck drop was at seven. Oh, wow, they only played one of the three periods. Like, it's just too much of a, the same issues occurring and the lack of the players' willingness to buy in, show some of that emotion. And they've been making the same mistakes all season long. We've heard Bruby preaching all year, hey, we cannot be giving up the amount of slot shots that we are. And yet the Blues continue to allow those easy slot shots. Um, the defensive side of things, whether it be the defenseman or the forwards, not back-checking, giving up backdoor opportunities constantly, I, I do think the biggest chunk of the blame goes to the players in this scenario. So the Athletic has those player cards that we talk a lot about, right? Oh, yeah, I looked at those too. And, and they look into, you know... <laughs> not purdy. <laughs> what does a player make? What should they be making based on their performance this season? Like, if he was to hit the open market, right? What would he get paid elsewhere? It's kind of like in baseball, they say X amount or... Each wins above replacement is worth X amount of money. That's essentially what this is doing for NHL players. So as I look through some of these blues, surplus value is what they call it on this, which is basically what are they making? What should they be making based on their performance? What is that value? That's the algorithm that it spits out. Ryan O'Reilly is worth negative $5 million so far. So this he's season. got to pay people $5 million to play for them? Basically. Wow, way to go, Dom. Vladimir Tarasenko should be paying the Blues $3 million bucks from his salary that based I can on get his on board performance. Uh, Braden Shin should be paying him $3 million bucks for his performance so far this year. Wow, that, there's your algorithms. algorithm <laughs> sucks right there. It's just based on that, all right? Colton Pareko should literally be paying the Blues to perform right now. Some people like, would agree with that. He's making $6.5 million based on his performance this year. They say he should be worth the league minimum. Mm, In fact, that's tough. they say he is worth negative 6.6. He's making 6.5, which is tough to do. Uh, Justin Falk, worth 1.7. He's being paid 6.5. Tory Krug, worth 1.7. He's being paid 6.5. So he's negative 5 million bucks. Nick Letty, even so much money right now. (laughs) Even worse somehow than Colton Pareko. He's being paid $4 million this year. They say he should be worth a league minimum and should be paying the Blues $5 million back. Again, he's getting paid four. It's on the players, guys. These are the guys that they brought in for a reason. We've seen Nick Letty play well here. We've seen Colton Pareko play well. We've seen Tory Krug have moments. We saw last year Justin Falk was outstanding for the Blues. Alex was saying he should have won the Norris Bleepin' Trophy. After that damn Kale McCarr. This isn't because Craig Baruby somehow just suddenly became a bad coach. (laughs) 
Doug Armstrong isn't suddenly terrible at his job. I can disagree with a couple of the moves that he's made while still acknowledging that he's one of the best NHL general managers in the league. The team hasn't performed this year. It's on the players. So for me, I I agree with you, Alex. I would go with the same direction. The majority of this uh, of this blame, it should go back to the place where we gave a lot of the credit previously when they were playing well, and that's with the players. Real quick from the three one four or three one four three nine 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 six four six Air Comfort Service text line. Braden Chen is minus twenty four this season for what it's worth. Braden Chen has been on the ice for every goal scored that's been an empty netter, which have been fifteen of them this season. So he's minus fifteen away from that minus twenty four. Quick math, T Bone, because you're the math minus guy on nine. the show. That's a minus nine. So yeah, like as much as people like to rah rah on the plus minus when players are bad. But then when they're good, it's <laughs> look at his plus minus. Oh, it doesn't matter. Wait a second. What you want to talk about? What what one of the main reasons for Justin Falk's Norris Trophy candidacy was last year? I'm going to go on a limb here and say you thought he had a really good plus. Wasn't it the plus minus? Yeah, wasn't it, it was. the goals for? It was. And look at how many points you scored. And the plus minus was super high. Take that into consideration right. when you're a defenseman. I was just. Just throwing but that out there. All of these guys that have these plus minuses that are like minus 30, take into consideration when you're looking at that, that they've been on the ice for the empty net goals, and there's been 15 of them this season. Yeah. It, I mean, when they have an empty net right now. Oh, it goes in. I, we all can just turn off the TV. Yeah. You, you know what's coming next. Death. Turn off your radio. Turn off the TV. We'll keep your radio on, but turn off the TV. Listen to what. On what Joey and Curbs have to say, and then afterwards what Alex has to say. But Thanks, you know buddy. what's coming. Actually, let afterwards. me let me look this up. Have they scored a goal with the goaltender pulled this season? I think they've scored. I, last I checked, I think it was two. I, so, I feel like they've scored. So six on five, which can be the goaltender pulled or also a delayed penalty, they've scored one goal. Is it one? So <laughs> I don't even know if that's an empty dinner. That might be because of the delayed, the delayed penalty. They've allowed 15. As I said, 15 empty net goals. I don't believe they have scored a goal with the goalie pulled. I think they've scored one, if I'm not mistaken. I can't tell you exactly when that was, but I'm pretty sure I remember being very surprised. I'll have to look at the book, but I I thought it was a delayed penalty, but he might be right. Um, It continues in this piece over on The Athletic. Oh, we're going to keep going. Okay, yeah. Cool. Let's go through some of these uh, these questions that JR had for fans. And by the way, you can find this over on The Athletic. It's well worth the price of admission. What aspect of Armstrong's work has been the biggest impact on the lack of success that they have this year? Is it the construction of this team, the lengthy contracts that he gave out to several veteran players, or paying young players too soon? Oof. What do you think is the biggest issue that he has? I, I think it's the construction. And the reason why I would say that is because I think the original sin for all of this is the Petro. Yep, situation. that's where I was going to go. Like, I, I, I think that... But would you argue the lengthy contracts at that point because you already had two I lengthy think contracts tied up? I think yeah. they were a result of the Petro deal. And the reason why I say that is because, like, if you go back, even before the Justin Falk trade, if they were willing to give Petro a no-movement clause and they were willing to give him the money that he was asking for, and maybe they just didn't want to do it, that's fine, but I, I would have. I'm not sure they make that deal for Falk in that scenario. Maybe Joel Edmondson is still here then. I don't think you go out and get Tory Krug because now you're not no, looking you for that power play quarterback the way that you were. I, I, I There's a lot that could change, and there were so many other factors that go into this, but I think the original problem for the team was not giving Petro the contracts that he had earned 
And so I would go with the construction of this team, and I think it all dates back to that Petro decision. My tinfoil theory on the Tory crew has nothing to do with the power play and everything to do with we'll show Petro that we didn't get him. We'll find somebody else to do what he did, and it didn't work out to them. That's just a tinfoil theory for me. But, uh, yeah, uh, part of me hesitated because I did think that it was giving those younger players the lengthy contracts because sometimes it works better when you make those players prove it and continue to grow. But if you don't sign Cairo or Thomas and they have a better season this year, you're probably paying more than $8 million for them. Um, and, and people can blame the lengthy contracts or the long terms that they've given out. But again, that's the product of the roster construction. And I do believe you constructed a roster that veered in a different direction than what the head coach that had won you a Stanley Cup was wanting from his team. So I'd probably side with that one, too. Yeah, I, I agree with what BK said of the roster construction because I heard Stoltz say this last week. I think it was on Friday where the original sin for the Blues was yeah. the letting go of Petrangelo. And ever since, they've been trying to chase the number one defenseman. Number one defensemen are as rare as aces. There's not a whole lot of them. And if you have them, you shouldn't let them go. Absolutely. And Pet- Petro walked from the Blues because of possibly the no movement clause. So I, I do look at that as being the number one thing. And then also with the roster construction is... This team doesn't have a clear identity in my mind. I think I know what they want to do is they want to become one of those transition teams and try and outscore their problems, but they don't have that clear identity. And it goes back to our conversation last week, Alex, where it was the Blues are back to where they were after the, what was it, 2021 season or 2020 season where yeah, Army it was said. The year prior to them last year. So, yeah. Yeah, the 56 game season. It was where, the Mike Hoffman season. Yeah, where, where our Army came out in the end of season presser and said, me and Bruby have to get back on the same yeah. page. They're right back in that spot. It, it took them two years and they're already right back to that spot where there's no clear identity and we don't really know the direction of where they're going. They have to figure that out internally. By the way, just to kind of put a bow on our conversation about the empty net a natural stat trick uh is able to track all of this stuff with with the empty net it doesn't go by like five on five six on five whatever with the empty net this year the blues have scored two goals they have allowed 16 they have is this an empty net delayed penalty or is it just empty net because it's just empty net. i do know um, they've scored a goal where they've had a delayed penalty and their goaltender has exited and they brought a player on the ice yeah i can't speak to that so i wonder if that's I'm, what i'm it was. pretty sure this is just tracking the empty I, I think net. those are considered to be like power play or six on five this is with their empty net they've scored two which is tied for the second fewest in the nhl only the calgary flames have scored fewer and there's 16 goals that they have allowed is the most in the nhl by the way, this, this does not mean that they shouldn't pull the goalie. You yes, still can, do it. Can we stop that, too? You still should do it. It is the correct decision because you are down by one. You don't put yourself in a in, in unadvantageous situation, a, a disadvantageous situation by not allowing yourself the extra attacker. Yeah. You still do it. They're just not good at it. <laughs> and, and the aggressiveness of like, oh, we should stop pulling him so early. No, no, you're down by two. You should pull him yes. when there's three minutes left on Correct. the clock. Your team just has to actually possess the puck when the goaltender's pulled. All right, a few more of these going back to the Athletics fan survey. Which player's current contract do you most wish that the Blues could take back? Alex, he lists basically the entire team. <laughs> oh, so good. I'm going to allow well, it's you. Got, it's got to be Nolachari, right, everyone? Which one would you most want to take back? Bennington, Falk, Krug, Kyrou, Letty. Pareko, Scandella, Shin, or Thomas? God, they, he literally less, listed everybody. Pretty much. To me, it comes down to one of Tory Krug or Nick Letty, and I would side with the Tory Krug one because you have certain players that can fill that void, um, and you're utilizing him specifically as a power play threat. So he would be the one for me because it's six years of six and a half million dollars. And I, I think I would. Are I you thinking? Who I'm, I'm thinking? I, well, say it on three. 
Okay, I'm, we're probably going to be wrong right. now that we're doing this, but okay. Ivan Barbashev for BK, I know that. Oh, tr- true. One, two, three, Pareko. Yep, wow. okay. Uh, eight I, I'm years, just, man. Eight years is a long time. Like, I'm with just you on the Krug one. thing. I'm with you on the Krug thing. If I could take it back, would I? Yes. If I could take back a, a decent number of the, the Letty one, I, yes, I would as well. But those are like... I think you've got four years left with Krug counting this one and three years left with Letty after this year. You've got seven more years of Colton Pareko at six and a half million dollars. And he has performed this year like a third pairing defenseman. Yeah, so a, there's no defending it. There's been a bad year for him, but I just I, I heavily disagree there. I, I, the, you, the t- problem- you pluck one of those other two guys off, although I would I would argue with Justin Falk. But if you pluck a Krug or a Letty off, I think you're still getting the same outcome this season. The problem with me for the Preco deal was he hadn't proven he was the alpha dog as the number one, and then they, they were gave him, him to be it. Yeah, and they were paying him to be that yeah, guy. He's and not he hasn't paid shown, like an alpha dog. Six and a half million dollars is not alpha dog he's not money. Getting, he's getting paid too much to be a third pairing defenseman right now. That's the problem with the Preco deal. Last year he was a third pairing. It was a long term deal, and Preco has shown that Krug he played well last year. And what's the conversation around Preco all of the, the time? I mean, Krug was he was in that pairing with Justin Falk that you say that they were one of the best pairings in the NHL. We got to give Krug his credit. For where he, I'm not where he taking anything year. away from Tory Krug because Krug's Tory Krug, good coming back Tory from Krug's injury. been great since he's returned from injury. Krug I'm has just, been a better player over the past two seasons than Colton Pareko. I'm just the lightning rod that is Colton Pareko. People are putting too much on him. Yes, he's probably not the alpha dog that people are expecting him to be, but he's also not getting paid. If he was making $8 million. But they're all getting paid the same. All of these defensemen are at $6.5 million. And that's why I feel like if you pluck other guys that are making $6.5 million, your team is probably in a better spot than mm. it would be if you take Pareko I think the problem with the Pareko thing is less less about the immediacy and more about the long term if we're already having questions about whether or not he's a top four defenseman in year one I, I by year six or seven I, I don't know what that contract yeah, I just like. disagree with that coming up in about 15 minutes or so three quarterbacks future came to the forefront yesterday including a guy who wasn't playing because of course this guy's miserable we'll talk about that coming up at one o'clock but next the jump tour tanner's got a story for us here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn let's open it up the junk drawer with bk and ferrario Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. All right, time to dive into the junk drawer. Tanner, what do you got for us today? All right, guys, so I was having dinner with my family over the weekend and we were talking about you know great shows we've watched great movies we've watched and then we were talking about i don't remember what the movie was but someone said oh i watched the movie didn't like it and i said and my sister goes yeah you know i just a bad movie i just fell asleep and it was that bad and i went oh and my uncle goes uncle joe goes quote oh uncle if it's joe. a bad movie if it's a bad movie what i do is i fast forward because i want to watch it and just see if it gets good i want to know what happens even if it's a bad movie your uncle joe might be I know, a psychopath that's weird. i know right that's a weird thing to do is i just turn killer? it off he has he to might be. be he has to be a serial killer i if it's a bad movie i just turn it off yeah. at some point i just reach the breaking point and go this is so bad it's not see, even worth my time even if i've paid for it see that depends though because oh we're gonna defend his actions no no no, no 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 what i'm saying is if i have paid at a movie theater, and I've done this before. If I have paid to see a movie and it sucks, I'm staying. Oh no, a movie theater's different. I, if I've paid to watch a movie, well, I'm watching it. Home. it this I is still at watch home. it though because if uh, I paid no. for it, I'm going to finish I'm it. Done. But if it's something that's free, 
like a friend recommended it, and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I'll pull he, it up, and it's streaming. He puts on like the what is it, like 1.5 fast forward, yeah. and he just he's watches a serial. It in, in fa- he's a psychopath. That's insanity. He's a psychopath. Did you know there's people that listen to podcasts at like two times speed, 1.5 times speed? That's nuts. How, too. Do, how would you do that? That so might be my uncle. You, you go don't know. No, I understand that, but like you can't pay, take anything away from it. I don't know. People actually do it. Like I'm sure that there's somebody in our listening audience right now, three one four three nine 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 six four six, that I bet you when they they listen to their EK and Ferrario podcast on their iTunes. Of course they do. They probably listen to it at one point five times. I, I don't know how did, anybody does it. Did you guys ask your uncle Joe if he if like a movie where he did this and stopped the movie because he said it looked good? You know, he, he never like returned it back. Yeah, on. like you're fast forwarding thinking like this is terrible and then stop because it looked good. He never did say if he did. Maybe he did. Because the movie that I remember the movie that brought this up, it was Black Adam, the one where it stars Dwayne the Rock the, Johnson. The, Rock, the superhero yeah. one. My sister said she watched it and she said she enjoyed it. My uncle said, Oh, I wasn't a fan of it really, so I fast forward to the end. And then I, I think he, I don't know if he said he ended up resuming it's it like, or not. It's like reading a damn book on the last page and saying, like, Oh, this is a great book. I, I'm going to start reading it. I just can't picture where it's like, Man, this is so bad. But you know what? I just kind of want to see what happens and click and just watch it and fast forward. I got to be honest with you guys. Oh, you're I thinking of doing this now? No. Oh. God, God, no. We're not psychos. I don't remember the last time I turned a movie off. That's what I'm saying. Like, uh, uh, if it's free, I'll turn it off. Like, if I start a movie on Netflix and somebody recommended it and, like, 30 minutes in, I always got a 30-minute grace period. 30 minutes in, and if it's bad, I'm turning it off because I don't, I'm don't. i not Can obligated to watch it. you remember the last movie that you did that with? I, I know I'm being I did totally recently. honest. I, oh, yeah, I know. It's that uh, the horror film, Smile. It was a terrible movie. Oh, yeah, the one with that they had the... Yeah, advertising going on during the playoffs well, yeah. where they had the people in the stands. It was a tor- terrible movie. My wife and I watched it, but I said... We paid for it. Let's watch it. And we watched it and we said that was awful. And my wife said, I'm never letting you pick a movie again. Understandably so. But I paid for it and I said, screw it. I'm going to watch it. So I'm also the guy, though, and maybe this is why I don't end up turning it off. It's a it's a pro and a con because it can get probably pretty annoying for people that are with me. But uh, specifically my wife. My wife. I, I, I look up reviews prior to like, I'll look at the Rotten Tomatoes and I don't need it to be like a 90 percent for me to watch. But if there's something that's like a 30 to 40 percent, I'm not watching it. Oh, I'm, just I can't I'm not do wasting that. my time because then I got it in my head that it's like this is going to be an awful movie. Like, I, I want to know. I just watch like if yeah. it's that bad, unless I but get what if recommendations, it's a good movie and you don't know. Well, if there's like a lot of people that have told me that it's really good yeah. and I trust their opinion on it and it just got bad reviews, like com- comedy sometimes are that way where just not for everybody and if somebody yeah. has a similar like sense of humor as i do and yeah. they say it's really good okay cool I'll, I'll go ahead and watch it but for the most part if a movie says that it sucks on rotten tomatoes it's probably bad my dad and i well my, my parents and i have this shtick going on and it's been going on for a, a lot of years where we try and do that we try and like goat the other person into watching a bad movie by saying it's awesome so my parents got me have you guys ever seen the movie your family really is worse have you guys ever seen the movie mystic river uh-huh. It was directed by, by Clint Eastwood it. and it has Sean Penn in it. Horrible freaking movie. Terrible movie. And it's like a two-hour movie. My parents are like, oh my God, Alex, you got to watch this movie. It was incredible. And so I watched it and I said, you son of a, you know what? Alex, that got really good reviews. It was freaking like, terrible. Watch 90% it. on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, watch Excellent it. reviews. It was terrible. But that's what we do now. Movies pop up. So the problem, though, is like we'll watch a good movie like that one I told you guys about, Fall where the two people climbed up that big tower and they got stuck up there. And I said, it's incredible. Told my parents to watch it. They won't watch it. It's like, we we know what you're trying to do to us. I said, I I promise you guys. Your family's got some issues, man. Hey, man, it works. 
Somebody from the 573 says, guys, one of the issues that I have with Netflix is that they don't tell you up front which movies are dubbed over and don't match up with the mouths. I can't oh, watch I, those. Yeah. Like I, subtitles? Uh, so not just subtitles, but it's dubbed over with the yeah. English audio on what was previously a different language. Uh, like all quiet on the Western hmm. fronts that way. I just watched that yep. this weekend. I watched it and didn't realize it. Excellent movie, though. It is so good. good that it didn't even bother me. Um, oh, it still bothered me. Really? Yeah, I, just because I, yeah, I, I can tell it's movies. off by just a smidge. And I'm just sitting there going, ugh, oh, it's oh, like It's is, like ugh. subtitles. I don't watch the movie I read the whole time. I hate yeah, it. Yeah, I can't do it. I can't, I do, can't it. do movies with subtitles Oh, I, I watch everything with subtitles. Oh, Except you, for sports. Psycho. You are more of a psycho than his Uncle Joe. Really? No, no, I, I think a lot of people do that. No. Like, I, I can't do it, though. No it way. helps me internalize things, especially like names. I will remember them a lot How better. How do you watch, though? You don't even know what's going on because you're reading. Uh, you can you can do both. Oh, no, it's tough, man. Multitask, man. You are more of a psycho than I, Uncle I don't Joe. even like it. Like, I can't really say the show because I don't want to spoil anything. But because um, it's it's just out. But like when you have someone that's like speaking a different language for a scene and they have to put the subtitles on, I'd rather oh, just see, have no idea fine. what's going on because I'm too focused reading what's happening no, and I don't see, know what's going on. See, that's fine because that plays into the movie. But an entire two-hour film, I can't do that. You're getting roasted on the text line because for your Mystic, Mystic River. River takes. I don't care. That Mystic River movie was freaking terrible. The last movie I shut off, I found it. It was the Tom Holland one on Netflix, The Devil All the Time. I don't know. Like, that was it was okay. okay. It was yeah, okay, it was right. but like, I, like halfway through, I was like, "Man, this wasn't what I was expecting." I'm just done. The and other I movie that I forced myself to sit through that was awful in movies because I paid it was Kick-Ass. That superhero movie with Nicolas Cage. It, I think I know what you're talking about. Everybody was like pumping it. this thing up. It was incredible, and I went and it was like a comedy superhero movie. It was awful. Yeah. And then the other one was Sausage Party too. That uh, I never that ended one, up cartoon. Seeing. That one did get terrible. I, I forced myself to stay through that because I paid the movie. But man, my mind was burned afterwards. Somebody at the text line today. I learned that Alex Ferrario is incapable of doing two things at once. Yeah, true. No, I can just not. It just takes away from the experience of the movie. I want to sit and watch. I don't want to work while I'm watching the Have movie. Have you guys seen Money Heist? TV show on Netflix. It's also I dubbed. Think so. It's dubbed over. That no, because I can't watch that. I'm telling you, man. I, it, 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 like. That's why I could never watch. I just, someone mentioned on the text line. Uh, I think it was Parasite, which is yeah. all, all with uh, subtitles. One, Couldn't do it. One awesome. yeah, oh I know God. it's like really good. And I'm it's a, done great with the uh, awards. I'm out. I'm I just a, can't. I'm do amazed it. at the amount of people that are texting in and saying like, I watch movies with subtitles. It's great. It's a way to do it, man. Oh, here we go. The only money I've ever asked for my money back at the theater was The Village. Demanded money back. Oh, no, never mind. They're not backing me. They said Mystic River's crazy. You guys are stupid. I'm sorry. Mystic River Ryder, was awful. Have you ever seen Mystic River? Is it a good movie? It's not. It's <laughs> not. I have a feeling that would it's be the not. case. It was a terrible movie. What was the other one? The one where the dude fell in love with a fish. It won oh, an Oscar. Uh, yeah, I know. The, what something about. with water. water. Uh, the Shape of Water. That was yeah. a terrible movie, too. I'm like, what are we doing? Ryder right? says it was good, too. You oh, you son of a. That's it. That's it. I'm done. I'm trying to... You don't like... Uh, you probably didn't like Birdman either. Is that Kevin Costner? No. no uh, I can't remember who that was. Michael, Michael Keaton. No, I liked that one. Really? That was I'm a really surprised. good one. Didn't they adapt that into a, a musical? I don't or know. They were working at it Did or they? something. I actually enjoyed that one. I, I wondered if you were just not like a, a artsy type of no, a movie No, because person. some movies are really okay. good. It's just for some reason, <laughs> Mystic River was so dry and slow. Now, granted... Let me also remind everybody I was 13 year old years old when that movie came out. Oh, so, <laughs> so that might have changed my did opinion. Did you watch it then no, or did you watch it recently? I watched it like a year after it had come out. Okay. So, so you but I a haven't teenager. watched it. Well, I did, and it was awful, and I'm never gotcha. watching it again because it was so bad. 
alongside Alex Ferrario, who's getting roasted on the text line. Mystic River was terrible. I will live by that. Also, Bruno was. Just like Sopranos' band. Yeah, I'm with you there. Okay, that is... (laughs) You're terrible. Yeah, true. Imagine imagine your Uncle Joe fast-forwarding through the Sopranos (gasps) and trying to find a part that's good. Your Uncle Joe probably watched, like... He was he was watching Breaking Bad and was like, "How do I get to the end of this thing?" He was watching Ozark okay, and it was just defense, dark and slow. If he slow. did that to Breaking Bad, I could understand because Breaking Bad did start slow. Breaking Bad was slow to begin do with. Do you like any good TV no, shows? I, lo- I love no, Breaking, Breaking Bad. I thought yeah. Breaking Bad was good. It I've started heard, slow. I've, I've heard Breaking Bad was a fairly slow never start. Yeah. No, I've never seen it. You got to see Breaking Bad. That's a good one. Watch is it, that like, while you're is it like Disney World? Is it like Mystic River? <laughs> no, it's better. <laughs> Same thing. Because I don't Coming want to watch that trash. Yeah, both are good. Coming up in 15 minutes. So the Cardinals have the second best lineup in baseball, huh? And I'm not the one that's saying it. Awesome. So glad that there's somebody that's on my side. We'll get into that in 15 minutes. But the three quarterbacks that are coming to the forefront when it comes to the offseason plans, we'll tell you who they are next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. So one of the big storylines going into the weekend is what's Brock Purdy going to do for the 49ers? Unfortunately, we never really got to find out. We never really got to find out because he got hurt almost immediately upon the beginning of that game. The 49ers lose. They got absolutely destroyed. They had no chance in that game. Once he got hurt and then Josh Johnson goes down and in the second half, they've got... Uh, like the corpse of Brock Purdy out there, essentially. <laughs> Literally just Brock, go pass the ball to a, or a hand the ball off if you can. We all knew at that point in time that there was no, they, they had no chance to be able to win that game. Alex, this now sets up what is going to be a very compelling offseason for the San Francisco 49ers. And I really don't have a great feel on the direction that this is going to go. Jimmy Garoppolo is a free agent. The expectation is he's going to go elsewhere. Trey Lance had the bad injury for his ankle this year. He had to get it cleaned up again during the regular season after the first surgery. I don't know what he's going to look like health-wise or performance-wise because we really didn't get to see much of him this year. And when we did, to be honest, it wasn't super impressive with what we saw out of Trey Lance. What do the 49ers do now that we saw, what was it, eight games out of Brock Purdy? And when we saw him, pretty good. But... We didn't get to see him in what was going to be the biggest test that he had against this Eagles defense. Where would you fall with Brock Purdy and the 49ers quarterback situation? I guess it comes down to what are my other options? Can I get Tom Brady? Is Tom Brady a realistic option? Because if he is, I'm probably going to take a chance at that. And guess what? Because Brock Purdy, correct me if I'm wrong, he's still with them, right? Or they have to pay him this offseason. Yeah, he's he's a rookie, so he's got four years. So you still have him. So can I get Tom Brady? Because Tom Brady is an upgrade over Brock Purdy, at least for right now. We might see that he continues to get old and looks like he did in Tampa Bay. That might be my only option because I don't think you're going to get Aaron Rodgers. Who knows who else comes available? If I can't get a clear-cut upgrade over what Brock Purdy provided me from when he took over until the end of the season, I'm sticking with Brock Purdy because that opens up a lot of money for me to spend elsewhere and make my team even greater than what it is. But if I can get somebody who, with this roster right now, and I don't know how much turnover they're going to have in terms of who they have on their team, if I can get somebody who is a clear-cut take-me-to-the-Super Bowl this year, 
I'll take a shot and let Brock work behind him for a season. But if not, I'll stick with Brock Purdy. See, I, I don't think you can go back to Brock Purdy because I, I didn't think he showed he was a franchise guy. I mean, he was averaging 152 yards passing per game. So it wasn't like it was anything that was super special. I mean, I, I said this in our pregame show yesterday. I thought in the game against Dallas, Brock Purdy showed his true form where he was just a average quarterback and he wasn't the reason they won that football game. So I think what they need to do is they need to find a way to bring a veteran presence in, whether it be just a one, two-year stopgap, whether it be Tom Brady or you bring back Jimmy G on like a one, two-year deal, and you allow guys like Trey Lance to recover fully let him learn behind that veteran quarterback along with Brock Purdy let Brock Purdy see see if he just needs more seasoning learn behind whoever the veteran quarterback is that you bring in have them there for a year or two and then you look to turn the reins over to them that that's what I would do if I'm San Francisco I would be calling Tom Brady and saying let's do this like come on home you can come play for the Bay Area team you will not find a better situation than what we have to offer Look at what Brock Purdy just did. Like, if we had to, if there is anybody in our audience right now that would honestly take Brock Purdy in 2023 over Tom Brady, please show yourself. 314-399-9646. Well, I would Brock Purdy, please stand up. I would genuinely be curious to find out what the rationale is for taking Purdy over Tom Brady, even acknowledging that Tom Brady's going to cost you probably, what, 25, 30 million bucks at a minimum going into next year. He's worth that. No don't, no hometown discount? No hometown discount. Oh. Well, that would probably be a little bit of a discount for him. But <laughs> No, he's old. I mean, I, I would definitely go down that path. I think he's better than what you have available for you right now, and he does all of the things that you need. So for, for me, that would be my plan as well. If Tom Brady decides to retire or he doesn't want to come play for the 49ers for whatever reason. Maybe he just wants to go to Vegas and play for Josh McDaniels, whatever the explanation is. In that scenario, that's how I think you end up back with Purdy and Trey Lance battling it out to be their starter next year. I think Brady's the only guy that I would be looking to go out and acquire. If you can't get him, pivot, stick with what you got. If you can get him, though, he should be the one that ends up starting for the 49ers going into next year. Yeah, I, I think if you can't get Brady, I, I think he should look to bring back Jimmy G. I, I think Jimmy G was better than Brock Purdy. Uh, I, I would not back. pay that. I would rather spend that money elsewhere and load up for more weapons for I, Brock Purdy. I, I just think you need to bring in a veteran presence if, if you don't think Brock Purdy's the guy. And I, I don't think he is. I think Brock Purdy showed that he's clearly not a franchise caliber starting quarterback. He's like a guy that if you had to put him in a pinch like they did this year, you're okay with. But I, I don't think you should be going into next season going, Brock Purdy's our starter for sure. Because I, I just didn't think he showed enough to be clearly the everyday starter for you throughout an NFL regular season. I think you've got to find a way to bring somebody in. And if it's not Tom Brady, I would still rather sign a veteran off of free agent, whether it be, I, again, I don't think Carr would go there, but Derek Carr's a name that I would throw out there. I would throw out a guy like... uh I think Jimmy G, I'm trying to think who else would be out there free agent-wise, but I do think Daniel they need... Jones, maybe. Maybe Daniel Jones. I do think they need somebody else rather than Brock but Purdy. See, I would rather, in that scenario, just stick with Purdy and have the cap space to be able to yeah. continue building my roster elsewhere. There's no difference between Jones and Purdy other than experience. And, and money. Like, yeah. per, Jones is going to get paid $30 million probably from somebody this offseason, whether he ends up getting the franchise tag or goes elsewhere. Same thing's true of Derek Carr. Jimmy G probably gets $20-plus million. I, I would just... If I'm going to pay all of that for an average quarterback, I would rather find out what I've got right now with Brock Purdy and Trey Lance. They they spent a lot of capital to be able to go out there and get Trey Lance. And you, you do need to find out eventually if he's the guy or not. So I, I would Purdy's your backup plan. Trey Lance probably is going to go into the offseason expected to be the starter next year. Yeah. 
if they're not able to go out and get that guy. Speaking of somebody that could become available, sounds like he will become available. You know who? The guy that Voldemort? is miserable at all times. Oh. Aaron Rodgers is back in the headlines. Here's what Adam Schefter had to say about Aaron Rodgers yesterday on ESPN. I think there are people around the league who believe ultimately that Green Bay is going to trade Aaron Rodgers. He certainly sounds like a quarterback who is prepared for that possibility. But at some point here in the coming days, Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers are going to have to sit down and have an open, frank discussion about what each side wants to do moving forward. And there are people who believe the Packers are open to trading him. And there are people who believe that Aaron Rodgers would like to finish his career somewhere else. Guys, when did Aaron Rodgers become, like, fully formed, become Brett Favre? When did this happen? When did this transition take place? Because I swear, midway through his career, Aaron Rodgers, like, one of the most common things you would hear from him is, I'm never going to become what Brett Favre was at the end of his career. Guys, he he's literally Brett Favre. To the point of, I want to be traded. I don't want to be here with this young guy that you guys drafted when I was still playing at a high level. So much so that the most rumored team for Aaron Rodgers is the New York Jets. Guess where Brett Favre went after his Green Bay Packers career came to a close? The New York Jets. So that means he's going to be in the Vikings in a couple of years, too. So awesome. It is unbelievable that this this has like the, the transition has officially come to an end now with Rodgers becoming the next version of Brett Favre. If you were the Jets, would you guys be trying to trade for Aaron Rodgers? As much as I dislike the individual, I would because I don't want to have Zach Wilson next year. I don't think Mike White can do what he did. And on top of it, maybe Aaron Rodgers is miserable because Green Bay has made him miserable. Maybe he's in a better mood, better position if he goes to another team. It's always where somebody else's fault for Rodgers. Obviously, you, your motto is just pass the blame, and that's what Aaron Rodgers is doing. So uh, I, I would still be interested in him. Now the question becomes, what do you got to pay to get him? Like in terms of assets. That might be the difference maker if I'm the New York Jets because I'm nowhere. I don't think Aaron Rodgers makes me that much closer to a Super Bowl next season. There's still a lot of pieces that need to be filled. Oh, I, I think he puts him closer to the Super Bowl. Now, granted, they have to run through Mahomes, Herbert, Lawrence. Well, and Herbert's got Brandon Staley. Allen. That'll be fine. So, like, oh, and Burrow. I didn't even mention Burrow. I don't think so. Like, they've got a lot to run through if they end up uh, trading for. Aaron Rodgers, but I, I would do it. I, I think he would put them close, put them in that category of teams that we're talking about that we think is going to be good in the AFC for a long time. Now, look, he's probably only one to three year stopgap filler for the New York Jets. They would have to figure out what their plan is in a couple of years, but they've got the weapons to where if they add Aaron Rodgers and have a competent quarterback, then yeah, they've got a real shot to go on a run in the playoffs. So would I do it? Yes, even though he is miserable, I, I would trade for Aaron Rodgers. I would do it as well. How you much did that hurt? Bad, How much did that hurt to say? I mean, what are your alternatives, right? Like, if you're the if you're the Jets, you're desperate. Joe You've Flacco. got a team that is pretty good right now, but it's not a legitimate contender. You got to find out. You got to find out if Rodgers can make you into that. And as down as I was on Rodgers this season, he's still pretty good. That that guy, like. Maybe he's the ninth or 10th best quarterback in the league right now, but he's still somewhere in that top 10 range. That's worth trading for. And if it means giving up, maybe it's like a second this year and a first next year, something like that, I, I would do it. As as much as it hurts, pains me to say, I, 
I would do it. The final thing here, the third quarterback that we need to discuss, Brock Purdy, Aaron Rodgers, and Jalen Hurts, all in the headlines after this past weekend. According to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, the Eagles plan to negotiate what will be a massive contract extension for Jalen Hurts. Some sources have indicated that it could be more than $50 million on a per-year basis oh, for one good year for Jalen Hurts. Should have been a quarterback. <laughs> Would you guys do that for Jalen Hurts going after this offseason or going into this offseason? $50 million. Oof. Uh, I think you kind of have to. I mean, he's provided you what you wanted. He helped you take the next step, albeit some of me feels like it is a product of the placement around him, but he's been good. $50 million is a ton of freaking. This That's is what where Rodgers is getting right now. So it is the market. That's this is where teams take that step, though, because now you're not going to be able to compete, keep a competitive roster on that team because you're going to start paying your rookie quarterback a ton of money. You'll find out if Jalen Hurts is that dude. I think you kind of have to if you're Philly, because what's your other option? I say I, I would do it, too. I think you have to because it's so hard to draft and develop a franchise quarterback, and they've been able to do it and build the system around him. Yes, $50 million a lot. Yes, I do think he benefits mightily from the system that's around him. I, I don't think he'd be a top 10 quarterback if they didn't have the system they're running and Nick Sirianni running things. But I, I think you've got to do it. I think you've got to pay him. And I think you, if you're the Eagles, I think you almost have to jump the gun and get it done sooner rather than later. Because if you wait around and let Burrow and Herbert set the market, oh man, you're probably paying him more than you probably really should. So yes, I, I would pay him and I would do it quicker than what Burrow and Herbert whenever they get their contract extension. Price of business only goes up. Like, if you've got a guy that you believe in as a franchise quarterback, pay him now. Get it done as quick as you possibly can because the longer you wait, the more expensive it becomes. And this is going to be the case, especially with Burrow and Herbert. Those guys are going to completely reset the market once again. Do we think that Kyler Murray is worth $46 million per year? Nope. No. And I wouldn't have done that deal prior to him getting paid because I don't think he had proven enough. Jalen Hurts did. Jalen Hurts this year played like an MVP caliber quarterback. Can he continue doing so when he's paid? I would want to find out if I'm the if I'm the Eagles. And the quicker you pay him, the quicker you can find out whether or not you've got the guy. And then if he's not, three years from then, you can move on because that's the way that most of these contracts work is you can get out of them after a couple of seasons. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we continue with some NFL quick hitters, including who could be next year's version of this Eagles team? Nine and eight a year ago. And then now in the Super Bowl, is there a team that was around 500 this year that could become the next Eagles? We'll get into that coming up in 15 minutes. But the Cardinals, according to ESPN.com, have the second best lineup in baseball. We'll tell you why here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Just me then, huh? Somebody nationally also likes the St. Louis Cardinals lineup. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. ESPN.com put together their list of the best lineups in baseball. No surprise, Alex. Top team on the list is the San Diego Padres. We talked about this a few weeks ago, and the Padres were the lineup that I said, hey, when their stars are in that lineup, it's pretty tough to be able to compete with that. You've got Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Xander Bogarts, and oh, by the way, at some point in time, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to be joining that mix. Pretty damn good. Tough to be able to compete with that. But you throw out any other lineup in baseball, 
And I can at least make the argument for the Cardinals over that lineup. And that's exactly what Bradford Doolittle of ESPN.com put out earlier today. He has the Cardinals as the second best lineup in baseball. And here's why. Says that the Cardinals' best traits in their lineup are patience, strike zone command, the long ball, and batting average on balls in play. Their worst lineup construction uh, trait is their lack of speed. I would actually disagree with that. I actually think that they do have a pretty good amount of speed in their lineup, but nobody here asked you. Fair enough. Here's what he continued to write. Sorry. This doesn't look like the most athletic Cardinals team that we've seen recently, but it does look like a lineup that can mash up and down the order, as in from the very top all the way down to the very bottom. For that statement to turn out to be true, though, it will require continued development and success from some of the young players, such as Carlson, Newtbar, Donovan, and Yepes. But it is an impressive mix, and the base of the lineup doesn't even include Nolan Gorman, who can mash but has uh, questionable strike zone command. Jordan Walker could also fit into this mix with a good spring training. When we say that the Cardinals applied speed is a weakness, it's really just an observed trait, not an, a condemnation, as this is simply how the club was built, and that trait has not derailed the Cardinals' ability to field an elite defense. The lineup, already deep, got even longer with the offseason acquisition of Wilson Contreras. They are projected to have six players in the 90th percentile or better by OPS+, plus, the most of any club in the majors. Again, that came from ESPN.com's Bradford Doolittle. Alex, when you hear somebody nationally, not locally, nationally, say that the Cardinals could go into next season with the second-best offense in baseball, your reaction is what? Surprised, because I'm not there yet. If it were me, I'd say they could end the season as the second-best lineup in baseball. To start the season, I just don't see that yet, because we talked about this last week with BT. There's still a ton of what-ifs and hopes. And to be that second-best lineup going into the season, you need Tyler O'Neill to get back to his form. You need to make sure Lars Nupar is a real thing. So is Nolan Gorman. So is Juan Yepes. You know that you've got three incredible hitters with Contreras, Goldschmidt, and Arenado, but everything else is still a question. So to hear a national perch, that sounds something more like what we'd say here in St. Louis because it's really exciting and you've got a ton of talent and you're expecting big things from them. But... To hear a national person say that, it's surprising. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I'm I'm not really that surprised by it because when you look at the projections, the projections are very favorable on the St. Louis Cardinals. Everybody's projections are very favorable with the St. Louis Cardinals. But it does come down to, I agree with Alex, like, can I see this lineup being one of the best in in Major League Baseball? Yeah, I can, but there's a ton of what-ifs attached to that where am I as high on Tyler O'Neill returning back to the 2019 form? No, I'm not. I, I'm not sure he can ever put that kind of season together again. Dylan Carlson has to be more than just a platoon bat for the offense to reach that level. I've already said it a million times. I'm not as high on Lars Nupar as everybody else sure. is. So there are a ton of what ifs. But can I picture a scenario in which, hey, the Cardinals are right. And yes, this lineup ends up being one of the best in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I can see it. It's not hard to squint and see where, where the Cardinals are coming from and where the projections are coming from. But there are so many what-ifs that have to hit for them to get to that point that I wouldn't put them up at number two right off the bat to begin the year. I think I'd put them around that top, top ten five. range. Uh, I'd have them top five. Uh, I don't know if they'd crack the top five for me. I, I would have them maybe just on the outside looking in. But they're a top ten lineup without the what-ifs. Is your, is your question about the lineup more in the like top half of the lineup or the bottom half of the lineup? I think it's a little bit of both because I think if you because they're probably going to lead off with Lars Newpar, right. I think, or they'll have Donovan, one of the two. But I think it just depends on what they're going to do. Are they going to go with 
Contreras. Let me let me ask this a different way. Like top five hitters. Forget the the lineup construction on where they're hitting, but like Wilson Contreras, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, and then whoever else you want to throw in there as the the fourth and fifth best hitters. Probably Brendan Donovan, and then whoever you've got as the fifth best hitter. Is that part your concern, or is it the the depth of the lineup that's more your concern for this Cardinals team compared to the other best lineups in baseball? So I have concern about who that, whether it be that two or five hitter is going to be, because I think Donovan's the leadoff. I love Goldie Arnado Contreras. Who's that fifth bat that's involved in there? Who's it going to be? Is it going to be Lars Newpar, Tyler O'Neill? So there's one spot, I question, in the top sure. half of the order. And then it is that bottom half. What's that bottom half going to end up looking like? Because if it ends up being where these guys and these what-ifs hit, I mean, you're talking about a lineup that it's tough to figure out where the easy out is. If they don't, you're talking about six through nine potentially being potential easy outs. And see, I'm not opponents. as worried about six through nine. Mine would be the first one you said of one through five, your five best hitters, because I know who the three are. I'm not sure about four or five. Whereas I can say the Padres, I can say the Braves, I can say the Mets, and I could hear the argument for the Phillies because if they don't have Bryce Harper in the early portion of the season, those are all proven commodities, whereas reason, St. Louis isn't. The reason why I ask is I'm I'm kind of more on that side with you, Alex. Like, I look at even the Astros lineup, right? And I think the Astros lineup is tremendous, and I think they're underrated in this in this ranking. They have him at number four. I, I would have them probably in the top three. Um, they have Jeremy Pena, Chaz McCormick, and Martin Maldonado as their seven, eight, nine hitters. As exciting as Jeremy Pena's season was last year, he was a worse hitter in the regular season than Tommy Edmond. So if you're just looking at the seven, eight, nine for them, it's not very good, honestly. Their depth is is really not there in that lineup. The same thing is true of a lot of teams like the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think the reason why it's important to go through these is because we lose sight of it. We focus so much on the Cardinals as opposed to looking at the questions that other teams have. The Toronto Blue Jays have Brandon Belt, Whit Merrifield and Kevin Kiermeyer as their seven, eight, nine in their lineup. That's not super impressive. The Dodgers, Trace Thompson, Chris Taylor coming off of a down year and James Outman, who I, I don't know what he's going to be, but his projections seem to be pretty good. There's some real question marks in that lineup. Uh, you can continue, like the New York Mets. They're six through nine. Daniel Vogelbach, Mark Canna, Eduardo Escobar, and Omar Narvaez. They were trying really hard this offseason to upgrade from Eduardo Escobar because he had a down season last year. The 7-8-9 for the Phillies. Although they were good in the playoffs, Alec Bohm's just an okay hitter. Bryson Stott did not do a ton last year during the regular season, and Brandon Marsh is not a very good uh, hitter. A lot of these teams, and these are like the the sixth through the ninth best lineups in Major League Baseball that I'm talking about right now. They've got real questions at the back end of their lineup. Meanwhile, when you look at the Cardinals, the way that they're constructed, there's upside that's baked in there with Tyler O'Neill, Lars Newbar, Juan Yepes. It's a little different than what I was just talking about with those other teams that mostly have established veterans that are trying to hang on and recapture some form. The Cardinals are more guys on the upswing that could potentially give you more of the the high upside. So that's why I'm higher on the Cardinals. I do think it does come down to, though, the question of do you like the certainty versus the upside? Cardinals are a lot of upside conversations. Some of these other lineups, Braves, Phillies, Dodgers, Astros, it's more about the certainty that comes along with them. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But next, we'll finish off with some NFL quick hitters, including some of our biggest takeaways from Championship Sunday and who could be next year's version of the Eagles. We'll tell you next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. I just got this tweet, Alex. I'm curious your response to this because I want to get through a couple of our biggest takeaways from championship weekend. This comes from a gentleman by the name of Randy. <gasps> BK, that was by no means one of the great postseason games we've seen recently. Not even close. Close games and your team winning does not make it great. It was sloppy. It was clunky. There was bad officiating. It was close. It did have an exciting finish, but that's about all it had to offer. Alex, do you think yesterday the Bengals versus Chiefs game was a great game? Yes, because I judged one of the great games before last night was that Bills Chiefs last season where it was back and forth down the stretch. This one to me had a different ending to it because I expected this one to finish the way Buffalo and Kansas City did with Cincinnati prevailing. Kansas City, despite what people believe, because apparently we still, Randy himself, want to blame the officials on this. That one provided one team scoring to take the lead and the other team finding a way to make the stop. And that's how that one ended. So, yeah, it's one of the great games, in my opinion. I would agree with that. I think it's one of the great games in the postseason because I I, I didn't know who was going to win in the end. It was exciting football to watch. It wasn't like... I go back to when the Rams lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, where it was like 13-6. That game was ugly. Yeah. That game was bad to I watch. I hated that It game. may have been close, but, man, it was brutal to watch. So, yeah, I would say it was an exciting football game. I, I don't think it was as exciting as last year's Chiefs-Bills game, but it's tough to top that game where you got, like, what was it, 28 points in two minutes? But that's the precedent we set, and that was probably one of the greatest games and playoffs that I've ever witnessed because it was so exciting. This felt like a lot of the Patriots-Super Bowl games where, like, is it pretty? Not necessarily. But it's well played or as well played as could be expected, given the circumstances. And what I mean by that is, man, the Bengals offensive line was have had two starters that remained healthy. The Chiefs were without their top three wide receivers. They were without their top corner, their top linebacker. And Patrick Mahomes was playing on a high ankle sprain. I got to witness Joe Burrow playing behind a bad offensive line with one of his three best wide receivers out of that game. And they were playing some Ajay Ryan more than Joe Mixon for the majority of that game. Joe Burrow was able to rise above a lot of those circumstances. Played pretty well yesterday, I thought. Patrick Mahomes, with all of those things that I just mentioned, played an outstanding game yesterday, man. Finished throwing for 325 yards against a very good Bengals defense. Two touchdowns, no picks, took three sacks and had that big play at the end. Yeah, I, I thought it was truly a great game. Were there other stuff that we have to talk about, specifically thinking about the refs and all that? Yeah, like that that plays into it, and that's frustrating. But I thought it was an outstanding game. I looked into this just a little bit ago. You look at the what we've seen from the Chiefs and the Bengals now in their four games that they've played. They have been determined by a total of 12 points. The only game that was not determined by a score in the final three seconds of the game was this year's regulation matchup in which the Chiefs actually missed a potential game-tying field goal with three minutes left. So all of these games basically have been determined by the final drive by either of the two teams. This this is what we've come to expect between the Chiefs and the Bengals, and I thought this was just simply the latest special chapter in that rivalry. On the Eagles' side of things, guys, did we learn anything about the Eagles on Sunday? with what they did against the 49ers when the 49ers basically had no quarterback available? No, not at all. Because the defense looked like the storyline in that game, and rightfully so, against two pitiful offenses, to, for lack of a better word. And then on the offensive side, I learned that offensive line is ready for anything. That's the exciting part of it. 
But San Francisco's defense, as great as it is, doesn't have a Chris Jones. And that's the one that I'm really interested in when it comes. I know they got uh, Bosa, but Chris Jones is just playing out of his mind right now in the postseason. So I, I don't I think the two best teams are in the Super Bowl. But I also don't know what I'm getting out of Philadelphia because in one game, Jalen Hurts has looked awesome. And in the other game, they won because their defense and offensive line. Yeah, I, I don't know if we really learned a lot from Philadelphia in the, their first two playoff games because they've beaten just bad quarterbacks. I mean, they beat Daniel Jones, who's not a great quarterback, as we learned. And they beat mostly Josh Johnson and, as BK said earlier, the corpse of Brock Purdy, who couldn't throw the ball because of his elbow injury. So I, I don't think you've learned a whole lot about them in terms of their defense. I do think their defense is good. Offensively, I, I think they did prove a little bit that they, they can run the ball if they want to and establish the running game with their running back, not their quarterback, which I thought was going to be big. I thought Hertz was going to rush for have a big game with his legs yesterday. But, yeah, I don't think we've learned a whole lot about this Philadelphia Eagles team. Their path to the Super Bowl has been pretty easy, and we'll see how they respond when they get up there against Kansas City. I'll give their offense a lot of credit for the way that they played yesterday. It's a really good 49ers defense, and they made them look silly, specifically along the offensive line. The Eagles offensive line was completely dominant in that game from start to finish. So I'll, that was I'll with Elaine Johnson. Yeah, Elaine Johnson playing on a torn groin. So I'll... <sighs> I will give them their credit for that. Otherwise, though, I don't think we learned a whole lot. Jalen Hurts didn't play particularly well yesterday. Um, I I thought their defense played well given the circumstances, but, I mean, they, they didn't have a quarterback that was functional uh, on the 49er side of things. So uh, it should set up for a very compelling matchup between the Eagles and the Chiefs. Final thing here. The Eagles last season... We're basically a 500 club, but a club that gave you reasons for optimism, especially when you looked at their quarterback situation. It felt like I know yes, last year, Alex, you you were high on Nick Sirianni. It felt like they had got the coach right. They got the quarterback right and they needed to build around that. They added A.J. Brown in the offseason, and we've seen what some of the results are from that trade. Who's going to be next year's version of the Eagles? Eagles going from a 500 club to the number one seed in the NFC. Now they've got a quarterback to build around. Who do you guys think will be that team next year? Or is there one? So I I, I have a few, actually. Okay. The main one for me are the Detroit Lions, because everything we're hearing about how those players love Dan Campbell, what we saw at the end of it, they're going to have a good draft pick this this uh, this upcoming draft. The, Tiger, or the Lions, to me, are the number one team, I think, that can be in this position as Philadelphia next year. The other two are the Giants and Jets. The Jets have the personnel. The Giants have the defense and the right head coach. They got to figure out the quarterback. But all things I believe can be addressed in the offseason, kind of like Philadelphia did where they made the trade for A.J. Brown and put them over the top. Those are the three teams that I would say watch for them next year to be a Philadelphia Eagles. I, I do like the Lions one. I do think the Lions are the team that's going to be there. I Jared Goff looked really good this year. They've got the weapons around. Defensively, they're going to have to fix up some of the issues there, but they can do that in one offseason. A team in the AFC I've got my eye on, and I know they made the playoffs this year, but they were right around this mediocrity, is Jacksonville. I, I do think Jacksonville is going to take the next Some of us were already in on that level. team. Yeah, well, good for you. Well, I'm going to join the bandwagon. I, no, I, you're not invited Trevor on. Lawrence, I had concerns about after his first year under Urban Meyer, and it was clearly the Urban Meyer was the problem. Doug Peterson, great job developing him. They've got a great offense. Same questions I have on them defensively. Can they make just a couple more adjustments there? Another team I got an eye on, I, I don't think they're going to take the big step in terms of being able to get to like the AFC Championship game. 
is uh, Pittsburgh. I, I really like Kenny Pickett, and if they can get some more weapons around him, they've got a solid defense. I trust Mike Tomlin. I think Pickett's the guy moving forward in Pittsburgh. I, I was impressed with him this season, so they're another team I've got my eye on, but again, I don't think they can take the step in where they're like in the AFC Championship How game. you felt about Trevor Lawrence is how I feel about Kenny Pickett. I'm so out on Kenny Pickett. Really? Yeah. I love Mike Tomlin, but I'm so out on Kenny Pickett. I think Pickett. he's kind of Jared Goffey. Like, they play differently. I think he's got a little bit more mobility than Goff does. But can you win with him? Probably. But I think it's more of a reflection of the surrounding cast than kind it like is. San Francisco is. with Brock Purdy. Sure. Yeah. If, if you were able to fill it up around him better with some talent, I think you can win with him. Uh, the Chargers I would throw into this mix just because they're so incredibly talented. But Brandon Staley has me pausing a little bit on that. Yeah, if they that's had, fair. They <laughs> fired Staley. So. And hired Sean Payton this offseason, I would probably oh. say the Chargers are my team. That they would be my number one team if that took place. Next year's Eagles. I do like your call on the Jaguars, but my two that I would throw into the mix as well, because I think it might need to come from the NFC to be able to have that kind of a record. I'm going to say on the front end, these teams would have to add a significant upgrade at quarterback. Oh, boy. Commanders and the uh, Panthers. I think both of those teams are really talented. The Panthers, I like the head coaching hire that they yeah. made with Frank Reich. I hope they draft a quarterback. They need a quarterback, but otherwise I think they've got some real talent on that team, and we saw that down the stretch for them. The Commanders have a defense that gives me some trust in them, especially with that defensive line, and that was the big reason why the defense was able to turn things around in Philly this year. That defensive line is really good, and they added another big-time pass rusher in the offseason. They've got some weapons on the outside. I like what Dotson was able to do for him this year. McLaurin's a superstar. The, the commanders are an interesting team if they end up getting the right quarterback in there. So those would be two that I would throw into this mix. Coming up next, we're hitting the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's good to be back together. The whole gang's together for a day. Uh, Alex is out the rest of the week, but Tanner's going to be here with me. We'll take care of you guys Tuesday through Friday, and then we will all be back together next week for big game week here on 101 ESPN. Just know in the heart of hearts for you guys that if it wasn't for the Blues today, I'd probably already be in Disney World. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you for that yeah. whatsoever. Take the Blues week. are back in action tonight. Puck drop for that one coming up at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage with Alex starting at 6. Alex, at this point in, in the season, is, is there anything in particular that you're, like, watching for? I mean, <laughs> I, obviously, the, everybody's attention over the next five weeks is going to be on the trade deadline and what that means for the yeah. Blues. But is there anything in-game that you're going to be watching for specifically? I don't think so. If you're a fan? Uh, other than some of the younger players and just how they continue to perform. But on top of that, I guess just the chemistry between the coaching staff and the players. Because I, I played you the audio in the office. We played it uh, last week with BT after that game against Arizona where Vladdy and Kyrou were kind of getting into a yelling match with Peruby on the bench. And maybe that was something completely different than what we're reading into it. But if that's the case, you might watch for the dynamic between the coaching staff and the players because the players aren't going anywhere unless Doug's going to pull some crazy trade off at the deadline. So 
in terms of on ice, it's just the continued growth of guys like Cairo. Do they figure it out on the uh, defensive side? Does the defense figure this out at some point? How does the team look going into next season? But I also think it will come down to pay close attention to the dynamic of the coaching staff and the players that are here because those are going to be the guys that are going to be going at it again next season to try and turn it around. Three guys I'm going to have my eye on the final stretch of the regular season. How does neighbors growth continue? And also with two of the defensemen. And then one of them is not going to be in the lineup until Meekless potentially dealt at the deadline. But it's what is Rosen and what is Tucker look like those are the three guys that i'm gonna have my eye on the rest of the regular season i don't even know if you'll see tucker up here even when trades happen i would say it's gonna be the the big defenseman for me i i want to find out what they've got like you're you're kind of stuck with a lot of these contracts krug pareko letty and falk that's your top four I, i need to see some growth from those guys if even if you get at least two of them back on track that's a starting point and maybe you can build around that because so far this season, and I know it's not all on the defenseman, Alex. I know you mentioned that after the game on Saturday. The forwards are a problem as well with their lack of goal suppression. But it, it starts with the defenseman, and they just have not played well enough so far this year. So we're looking forward to that coming up tonight. Alex will have pregame starting at 6 o'clock. Again, puck drop right here on your home for the Blues starting at 7. If you missed anything from today's show, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For Alex Ferrario and Sandra Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Me and T-Bone will be back with you tomorrow at 11. The Fast Lane's coming up next. What we're not going to do is we're not going to sit up here and act as though Mystic River. Horrible freaking movie. Terrible movie. And it's like a two-hour movie. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.